This episode of Tales from the Backlog, like every episode, is brought to you by the patrons over at patreon.com slash realdavejackson. Some personal heroes of mine, like Chris Nelson, the Top 3 Podcast crew, Zul Geek, Chris Copleen, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Nick Ficori, Jill, Jeff, formerly Jerf, Kieran, Soccer, ZNA, Cupcake, Kyle, Christian S., Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, JD, Doug Leaf, Jason Emery, Brian Skersha, Randall, Jake Martin, Jenny E., and many more have all chosen to show their support for the podcast by going to patreon.com slash realdavejackson and kicking a few bucks a month my way. In return, they're getting some cool treats. If you'd like to learn more, you too can head over to patreon.com slash realdavejackson. All support is always appreciated. And with all that being said, it's time to return to tactical espionage action. Hello, everybody. My name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog. This is a video games review podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to bring a game out of the backlog, play it, and discuss. My guest today is a friend of the show, host of Gaming Memories podcast, and a tactical espionage enthusiast, Cade Call. Cade, welcome. I am. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm. I'm so ready. I just let's go. <laughs> yeah. When I put out the call a long time ago, searching for a. Uh, guest for a possible Metal Gear Solid 2 episode. You jumped on it. So happy to have you here, man. Like I said, today we are going to talk about Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty, which is a stealth game developed and published by Konami for the PS2 in 2001. Now, if people are uh, listening and you haven't played Metal Gear Solid 2, the spoiler policy for this episode is the same as every other episode. We're not going to spoil the story. This, uh, this game has an extremely spoilable story. There's a lot going on. So we're not going to spoil that. We're going to save it until the spoiler section. Uh, you can check down in the show notes for a timestamp for when those spoilers begin. Kate and I have prepared some elevator pitches for Metal Gear Solid 2, uh, just to whet the appetite, as it were. I wrote down that Metal Gear Solid 2 is Kojima's bait and switch and switch and switch and switch and switch, and switch to infinity. Cade, what would you say? I would say Kojima shows us either he is a prophet or a time traveler. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I played this to get ready for the show. This was my first time playing it. I played it emulated on my Steam Deck because uh, I wanted to have those codec conversations with Otacon uh, laying in bed before I go to sleep at night. Just, just tucked me in real nice. Uh, it took me about 15 hours to beat. And that includes, I played a little bit of like the extra snake stories. I didn't do all of them. I, I kind of just tooled around in them a little bit, but about 15 hours to beat. Does that sound right to you? Yeah. 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 All right. Fair enough. Uh, so let's begin like we always do with our histories with the Metal Gear uh, series, our histories with Kojima as a creator. And then of course, this specific game, Metal Gear Solid 2. So Kate, I'll kick to you first. What's your history with Metal Gear? What's your history with Kojima? And uh, specifically this game, did you play it right when it came out? Absolutely played it when I came out. And the hype for this game mm -hmm. was just 
fever-pitched gaming society was... Yeah, we can't talk about spoilers. So just we <laughs> talked about the switch and switch and switch. Yeah, yeah. The fact that Kojima had can we swear and say stuff on this? Oh, say this, whatever you want. Yeah. The Kiji, the fact that Kojima had the cojoles, the fucking balls to do the switches that he did in this game when the pressure was so high and the hype was so high. Mm-hmm. I think it was the first time that Kojima showed us he was more than just a great game dev, but he was different. For better or worse, depending on your your uh, your opinions on Kojima. Uh-huh. We could go on about that, but Metal Gear Solid 1 just seemingly came out of nowhere, took the world by storm, and the hype for 2 was out of control. I mean, I was consuming every EGM, PSM, GamePro, Game Informer, <laughs> there's, right? The, the internet, I don't even know if I had like regular access to the internet at that time, uh, 2001. So I would have been 17. So we, I don't even know if we had internet by then, maybe, but it was like on a dial up at my dad's house or like something. I think I had mm-hmm. a Dreamcast, but anyway, I consumed everything I could possibly consume about that game. And then the game came out Man, we'll get into it, but the game came <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into that. And like the, the fact that you're not playing a solid snake the whole time is, is common Spoilers! knowledge at this point. We, uh, we can say that, ah! we can say that, but uh, yeah, so we'll get into that for sure. Cause uh, I have a different perspective on that than you do. For sure. Um, yeah. This I mean, is yeah, yeah. this is my first time playing Metal Gear Solid 2. And um, as I, I said on the Metal Gear Solid 1 episode, uh, which was last year, it was episode 61. Shout out to Mick Arcade, the guest on that. Uh, I played Metal Gear Solid 1 for the first time last year. Before that, my history with Metal Gear was I played Ghost Babble on the Game Boy Color when I was a kid. I played Whoa, that. random. Yeah. Super I, I random had... entrance into the series. That's exactly. Well, it gets more random. So I, I I never beat that. I had no fucking idea what was going on in the story. I was like 11 <laughs> years old or something. Um, and then after that, I my first Metal Gear game after that was Rising Revengeance, which is one of my favorite games ever. Uh, so interesting. Double random entries into this series. Uh, Metal Gear Rising's episode eighty-four of Tales from the Backlog. Shout out to Jacob McCourt for joining me on that one. Um, I played that game several times now. I love it. Uh, also interesting because that's also Raiden. That was my introduction to Raiden. Was was that game? So my first time playing Metal Gear Solid Two, and to just kind of set up some quick opening thoughts about it here at the top. I. Really like how the gameplay was improved in Metal Gear Solid 2 from the first Metal Gear Solid. Big improvement there. Uh, A lot more fun to play, better as a stealth game. The story took some time to get going, but like, you know how some stories, whatever media, games, movies, whatever, some stories are real slow and then they go 0 to 100 in a hurry. Metal Gear Solid 2 goes from 0 to like 100,000, right? (laughs) In like the snap of a finger, including like just a wild philosophy and exposition dump one of the wildest longest ones i've ever encountered uh in a game so like that kind of took me by surprise and we'll talk about that in the spoiler section uh but i think when you stand back and think about what this game is doing what kojimo is trying to say in this game uh, i think that number one this game is good uh number two it doesn't deserve the bad rap it gets as far as metal gear solid games go and number three uh i I'm of the opinion that Kojima thinks he's profound a lot of times, but he's often not. 
But I think a lot of stuff in this game is actually quite good uh, from that perspective. What would you say as just some quick opening thoughts before we dive in? Okay, so we did talk about the writing thing, so we can talk about this. The fact yeah. that, right, so Kojima, when you're someone who's really outside of the box, not every swing is going to be a home run. But mm -hmm. the fact that you go for the swings, uh, I didn't think Death Stranding was a home run. I thought the art direction in the story was probably his best work, but I thought the game, the idea that he wanted to like, I'm going to make a walking simulator and like actually go for it. Uh, I'm the total opposite. That's that the walking was my favorite part of that game. Yes. I fucking loved it. <laughs> and a lot of, and the thing is a lot of people did like a lot of, that's one of the things about Kojima is like, even I'm a huge fan. I mean, right. Yeah. My whole podcast, I joke about Kojima being a demon, a deity. And he's like the sun, like in the gaming Godhead. Like I'm a massive Kojima fan. Yeah. Death Stranding didn't get me, but you know what I did do on Death Stranding? I watched the entire game and cutscenes on YouTube because it was mm -hmm. fucking awesome. I just didn't <laughs> want to do the walking part, right? Uh -huh. But the fact that like he went for it, I mean, think about the pitch. Hey guys, I just left Konami in this big fiasco. Sony's like, we'll bring you on, Get, uh, whatever budget you want. Like we'll we'll be your we'll be your daddy. All right, I'm gonna make a walking simulator. Mm -hmm. Like just the balls on that guy, and goes back to to Metal Gear Solid 2. After Metal Gear Solid 1 was this mega hit, it solidified this PlayStation brand, it skyrocketed PlayStation, it became one of the best-selling games of PS1 of all time to this day. Cult classic. Everyone wants to be Solid Snake. Dude comes out of the gates like, yeah, nope. Mm -hmm. And then he has the, the balls to tease you for the first. Because what you don't remember, they put out a demo. And I right. think I, I rented whatever game it was that the demo came out with. I rented the game for the demo, not the game, right? Mm-hmm. So you play the whole demo, you go through the tanker, sweet, I'm Snake, the graphics are better, game plays, everything's better, I am so pumped for this. Then you get the game, you play the demo, like, I've already been here, and then you finally get past the demo, and you're like, yes, I'm like into the new shit, the real game. <laughs> Fucking Raiden pops out, and you're like, uh -huh. and you're so confused, because the idea that someone would do this to you is not even like, it's never been done in gaming. Right. Like, it took <laughs> me hours to realize, like, oh, like, this is who I'm going to... This isn't just like a cutscene, a story, an offshoot. Like this is the game, mm -hmm. and I was like, I anyway. That's my opening thoughts. Like just that <laughs> at the time, you know, I wanted to emphasize that for the people who maybe didn't they would play it like you in retrospect. Yeah, just to understand the context and the pressure and sort of how how unheard of a bait and switch because people did bait and switches in games. But Kojima bait and switched us with the media. Like they put out a lot of hype. They put out the trailers, right. the demo, right? He really, like that had never, as far as I know, that has not, nothing had even come close to that. He did mm -hmm. it again with PT, which is like, I think the greatest marketing move in all of gaming history. I'm into marketing. So like some part of me just respects like the fact that he would do these things and then people signed off on it. Sony had a sign off on this. Do you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> so it's like he had to go and, I guarantee he had hella pushback when he had to, yeah, yeah. you know, he had to make this thing happen. So anyway, opening thoughts is just like this game is special, not just because the game is special, but in the context of gaming history and marketing and gaming, it just, so many things were done for the first time mm -hmm. with this game. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. Like we've talked about that, that bait and switch in a sequel to one of the most successful games ever. And uh, I think... In the spoiler section, we have some other stuff to talk about as yes. this game's nature as a sequel, uh, which is going to be interesting too. So uh, we are going to listen to a little bit of Metal Gear Solid 2 music, and then when we come back, we're going to set up the story. 
In Metal Gear Solid 2, as we kind of set up in that opening section there, you begin the game as series protagonist Solid Snake. The game opens with a long cutscene of Snake doing some tactical espionage shit, like bungee jumping from the George Washington Bridge while he's invisible, uh, gonna infiltrate this tanker that's in the Hudson River. Uh, His mission is to find evidence of a new model of Metal Gear, sorry, Metal Gear, that's on board. And uh, for those who don't know, if you're new to the series, a Metal Gear is a mech uh, capable of launching nuclear missiles. And that was uh, the subject of all the previous games in the series, is finding these Metal Gears. Now, we're going to yada, yada, yada through that because I don't want to say what happens in that part right now. We'll talk about that in the spoiler section. But fairly soon, like that opening section's maybe an hour or so. It's not very long. Then, uh, yada, Wait, yada, want, can yada. I cut, can I cut you off real quick? Yeah. I wanted to notate in that opening section, Yeah, the scene when you get to the hangar where you see Ray for the first time, Metal Gear mm-hmm. Ray, and you have all the sh- soldiers lined up. Yeah. I just want to say, because again, Kojima and Metal Gear games are also, at least with Metal Gear Solid 1, developed a reputation of we push the graphics and the hardware limits of whatever console we're on. And when Metal mm-hmm. Gear Solid 2 came out, the graphics were already mind-blowing. And then when you get in that scene with the lighting and you see that many models on screen, like back in the – that doesn't look like anything special now. Right. But this is the PS2. This is the PS2. I remember going to that room and being like, this can't be real. There's no way. Mm-hmm. This is not a cutscene. I can play this. <laughs> I can actually – all these guys – and I remember I went through – like reloaded the game over and over again and went through and hit each soldier to like – are these all actual NPCs or some of them like cutouts and they're not, you know, they won't react. Right, There's right. no AI. And it was like every single soldier was like a functioning NPC. Nice. Anyway, <laughs> I just thought that was super cool. Yeah, super cool. Uh, also, well, well, we'll see how we feel about this. Uh, after this section on the tanker with Snake comes this bait and switch that we talked about. So you have a new character who's swimming up to this this new mission and uh, the new characters kind of talking on the radio and stuff. They take off their like diving mask, and you see that it's not Snake. It's Raiden, who again was the protagonist of Metal Gear Rising: Revengeance. Uh, but this is where Raiden was introduced into the series. So we kind of touched on this before, but uh, since you played this back in the day and you were all on, you were on that hype train when this game came out. I'm sure that this blindsided the shit out of you, mm-hmm. but how did you feel about it? As I mentioned a little bit earlier, sorry for jumping ahead. I knew this was going to happen. I just get too excited. <laughs> it's all right. Um, it like it. <laughs> this is going to sound maybe over dramatic, but it, I'm being genuine. It reminded me a little bit of the ex- like the experiences I've had of death, and this is not to like trivialize death, right? But when I was a kid, sometimes it took a while. Like I had a friend die, get hit by a car. Uh, parents, whatever, and it always took me like weeks or months for it to kind of like settle in, mm-hmm. like realize that it's real. You're sort of in shock, right? Right. Not to say, <laughs> again, I was young in life, didn't have life experience, so to me, I experienced a similar pattern where like it took a few hours for me to really digest. Like, 
this is what happened. Like you didn't get the game you thought you were going to get. Right. <laughs> like homeboy, you know, I was kind of angry. Like I was, cause I fucking, I didn't like him. He's yeah. not as cool as snake. Now in hindsight, after the, the game had been out for a long, long time, I'm actually a massive fan of the game now. And mm-hmm. I think he did the right thing in the grand scheme of what Kojima is trying to do. Yeah. But none of us really knew what kind of creator and how out there Kojima was at the time. We didn't understand. Like, he wasn't Kojima like he is now. It was like right. he made one fucking awesome game. The guy's seems awesome. Like, he hadn't developed this reputation and this body of work. And so I was not a fan at first, but the graphics were so good and the gameplay was cool and I was invested. I mean, it wasn't like I had a hard time beating the game. Right. But it just, dude, it took me basically till the end of the game to just sort of accept that, you know, he just, yeah, I can't get into spoilers. So just accept (laughs) the bait and switch. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I I assume that anyone who played it back then without, you know, the benefit of playing it 22 years later, like me, can, uh, would have been just totally taken aback. And, you know, it, it would have taken like someone that was able to like go into it like a really clear head to not be upset in some way i feel like because snake is snake is cool people want to play as snake and then you started the game playing a snake and then kind of like you said when you first meet raiden he's not snake he's not cool he's not nope. uh he's not funny just kind of everything a whiner. About him. he's he whines he wants to quit all the time he's yeah. he's not portrayed as a very likable character at the beginning it's also weird in this section because you uh you have a different handler over the radio uh, you have Colonel and is it Anderson? Is Campbell. This, that is Campbell. Campbell. Anderson's from Mass Effect, I think. Anderson is in Mass Effect, and he's uh, also the Matrix, Mister Anderson. The, ma- <laughs> the Matrix, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you have Colonel Campbell, who's on the radio. He's your handler. Yeah, same person as the first game, and uh, it's real weird at the beginning for some reason. Your kind of helper over the radio is Raiden's girlfriend named Rose, who's been brought into the mission for some fucking reason. Again, like you learn why. We know why. We learn but why later. Yes. When you start the game, you're like, why is his girlfriend on the radio? Like sometimes she'll call you on the radio when you're like stealthing around and she'll ask you like girlfriend questions. She'll be like, Raiden, do you remember the first night we met? Or like, Raiden, would you still love me if I got turned into a worm? She'll ask you shit like that. And weird it's like shit. In, very yeah. weird. And I want to talk about not spoiler alerts, there's a couple of throwbacks to the original game that aren't spoilers. Raiden enters through scuba diving, right. takes his mask off. So they're kind of like almost digging the hatchet in. Like, remember the scene from the first game that you love and you wanted to play Snake? <laughs> yeah, now you're playing. Yeah. We're doing the same thing. It's, we're doing the same shit, but with the guy you don't like. Yep. <laughs> and then the girlfriend, she reminded me initially of Naomi in mm-hmm. the first game. Like, they're both kind of like Asian or half Asian, they're flirting. But this in this one, she's like not just flirting with you. She's like your girlfriend. And so there's like some parallels. Like that's one reason why I think we obviously there's lore reasons and story reasons why she's there. Right. But I just found it interesting. Like he is immediately creating parallels to the first game. Yeah. Similar, kind of similar, like you're on like a recon mission. Mm-hmm. Raiden is there to uh, rescue the president. Uh, he's there to stealth around, save some hostages. Again, there's a terrorist group, uh, and you're this time it's not in like a military base setting. It is at this giant oil spill cleanup facility called Big Shell, 
And uh, I think that is about as much as I want to say about like why you're there and what's going on. Because for a while, you are just going through this mission to rescue hostages and find the president and, you know, find the Metal Gear and stuff like that. And then the plot gets insane because this is a Kojima game. But we will save all of that for the spoiler section. Um, I got to ask you, because every I get feel like I got to ask this every time I do a Metal Gear game on the show. We have this tone in here that that is, you know, what I would just call Kojima bullshit. Lovingly, <laughs> I would call it that. Um, you have this high stakes spy drama, this political drama mixed with outright fantasy and stuff. You have... Uh, some weird side characters like Fortune, who's the soldier who can't die because bullets just bend around her. You have a guy named Fat Man, who's a rollerblading demolitions expert who doesn't give a shit about anything except for bombs. That's what he's about. He's about bombs. And then you have a character who's an actual vampire. So I got to ask you, do you think that Kojima thinks this is cool or is he in on the joke with me, basically? He's like, in on the joke. He's in on the joke. He, like okay. he he thinks it's cool. That's why it's funny to him. Yeah. Because like I will admit that when I first played it, I was like, dude, Fat Man threw me out of the immersion. Yeah. <laughs> he was just too ridiculous. He's on yeah. fucking rollerblades yeah. rolling around. <laughs> and it's just like, what? Is... And then the next scene, you'd have the ninja who's like the at the time right. my favorite Gray Fox is the epitome of like what makes Metal Gear so cool. And then you switch over and like now there's this fat rollerblading guy. Making like <laughs> shitty jokes and I'm playing his write in. Like, there's you could argue that those there, no game is perfect. And this game, I'm not going to claim is perfect, but I think Kojima was fully aware of like the emo. He's kind of trolling us. Like, that's what's crazy. Yeah. I think he's trolling us at this like super high. Again, you say it's like funny, but he's at this high stakes level. Millions of people are investing in him. He has all this pressure. And he's still like, yeah, but I'm gonna fucking troll you. Yep, I'm gonna put a, I'm gonna put a vampire. He's a real vampire. But at the same game. time, Vamp is kind of cool, and the he's, fight scenes are cool. Yeah, the the boss fight with Vamp is great. It's like, great stuff so it's like, like that. Yeah, I think he knows. Like, but the flaw I would say is what he doesn't do very well. That I think my favorite thing about like the Elden Ring and Dark Souls games, even though it's a completely different type of storytelling, if you go to like. For example, in Elden Ring, there's this village you go to and there's all these people in white cloths and they're dancing and they're all gone crazy. Right, right. When you dive into the lore, there's a reason why in the character design and every... They're not just arbitrary characters like, we're going to make them look cool for the sake of looking cool. Right. Right? It's all... Everything is like they're designed a certain way because of what happened in the village and to reflect that and it's all cohesive. I feel like the joke would have been pulled off better with Fat Man and Vamp if he justified them and tied them into the story and the narrative and made them more important. But if he did that, it also wouldn't be trolling you and be a joke. <laughs> so like, I don't, and I really do think he honestly, like a part of me, like he's, he's way into media. Like if you follow him at all, right. I know yeah. I'm like spooging over Kojima, but I, I love what the dude has done flaws and all. And he's constantly also trying to throw Easter eggs and references and pay homage to media mm -hmm. that he enjoys and so when you're trying to do all these things at once and put it all in, like you're going to have some rough edges. Yeah. And Fat Man is definitely a rough edge in my opinion, but also hearing <laughs> you talk about it, we start laughing, right? 
Yeah. Now in hindsight, we're laughing about it. We're having a good time. We're having positive emotions. So who's to say that wasn't a success, even as ridiculous and as much I didn't, as much as I didn't like it when I first played it. Right. 30 years later, I'm talking about it, nerding out about it, laughing about it. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. how do you measure that success? Yeah. It, you know, this stuff, I, I think that it's a combination of like, like you said, number one, Kojima thinks that vampires are cool. Yes. And so he is going to put a vampire in the game. He doesn't give a shit if it like breaks any sense of world building or immersion to have a vampire or to have like your demolitions expert. You're going to have a boss fight against this guy. Like that's how that's how this works with these characters. You get introduced to these like outlandish characters. They're going to be your bosses throughout the game. Yes. This is that's how Metal Gear Solid 1 worked. So you have like you you could just play it straight and you could have like a regular boss fight against a regular dude planting bombs around the place. Or uh, you could put the guy on rollerblades and turn it into a kind of comedy thing and animate him like doing rollerblade tricks and shit as he's like zooming around what during this fight. Like, I think that that is good. I like, I think that metal gear wouldn't be the same without these outlandish characters mm -hmm. like throughout it. You know, I agree. Like I, I have a pension for more dark gritty, uh, I don't think the game has to be realistic, but I really like it when games follow their own rules and stay consistent yeah. with their own world building and lore. That's like my personal preference. Right. Saying that, Metal Gear wouldn't be Metal Gear without not doing that. I mean, if you even think about like Metal Gear 1, that Indian dude, the shaman guy that fights you in a tank. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's the... Pro like? I'm going to get a big bald guy that looks like a Nazi, but I'm going to make him like a Native American shaman. And then he's, you have to fight him in a tank. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it is just like, he's like, this scenario would be cool. Let's do it. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's, we have this scenario now. How are we going to make this like memorable and interesting? Yes. And instead of, like you said, instead of making like, rich detailed backstories that fit in with the world building and stuff. Kojima's like, well, what if I just made this, this person a vampire and that that's, we're just like, that's what we're doing. So, yeah. And then we work backwards from there and try to like kind of splice some sort of logic of why right. he is what he is. And, but it's really not, it's just, it's like retconning while you're making it. Right. Starting with the cool part first and then just trying like kind of half trying to make it fit and if it doesn't fit who gives a shit because yeah it's, because it's fucking cool yeah <laughs> and that i think that's his mo yeah yeah um i i think that this game's like story and with all the twists that you learn i think is really entertaining throughout and i think i said at the top there is some like genuinely thought-provoking stuff that is brought up later in the game philosophical stuff social commentary more thought-provoking than any other Kojima game I've played. And then we'll get into it in the spoiler section, but I'll just say now the fact that he was writing these things in 2001 or yeah. even before 2001, because video games don't come out instantly as soon as the ideas come up. Um, I think that that is really well done here and personally makes this like Metal Gear Solid 1 was a fun story to just be on the ride for, but Metal Gear Solid 2 is an infinitely more interesting story to think about when you're done. I would agree. I would say that when I played it at 16 or 17, obviously we don't have, I know exactly what you're talking about and we're going right. to talk about it. It's the same thing I said when Kojima is a prophet or a time traveler. 
it's weirdly how applicable some of the ideas he talks about are in 2023. And he this was made in 2001. And like you said, developed even earlier, which means he was probably writing it like right after Metal Gear Solid 1. He's probably writing this in like 98, 99, or at right. least pre-production thinking about it. Um, I don't know how far he had like planned the Metal Gear universe, we call it, right ahead of time. Maybe he's been thinking about this since he was a kid. I know like Pierre, the guy that made Sea of Stars and The Messenger, he has been master planning his world since he was like a teenager. Yeah. And they've put yeah. out two games. So maybe Kojima has a little bit more master planning than we think, but just some like specifically the very end of this game and how it ties into now as a kid, I didn't understand. I was just confused. Yeah. Like I was so con. It's interesting because again, the juxtaposition when I played this game a second time as an adult, third time as an adult, and then watched more cutscenes for this and just kind of revisited stuff. Mm-hmm. Actually, the last week, I, I pretty much watched the whole game, all the cutscenes. I found a YouTube video of all the cutscenes. Yeah. Because um, I couldn't get the master collection. I wanted to mod it to the, like my liking, but there's not enough mods yet to get the gameplay right. I want. So it's like, okay, I'll just watch some some cutscenes. I think I liked the game more now, just watching it as like a movie in the last week mm-hmm. as a 38-year-old. Every time I revisit this game, I'm more impressed by it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And it's it's definitely like this story part has definitely aged better since I finished the game. I finished this game about a month ago. Uh, and then over the last month of like thinking about it and watching some YouTube videos and stuff to just like really nail down what's going on. Because the next point I was going to bring up is that the pacing in this game is really fucking weird. Like mm. it is a kind of by the book story as as by the books as a story with fat man and vamp and all of them can be but it it's pretty straight uh straight putt for a while and then there is an 11th hour like barrage of plot twists and philosophy dump and stuff like that all at once and so like i think the pacing is pretty rough like they they throw so much at you in this one section it's yes. really hard to to take it all in and like you know you if you throw one big idea at me or two big ideas at me in a cutscene I can internalize that and follow it but yes. this throws like 25 fucking things at me and there's a lot that's just not going to stick even though uh, again I think a lot of that content is quite good it's just the pacing kind of sucks toward the end uh it's it's just a lot uh felt like at a certain point it was like I was playing Metal Gear Solid, playing Metal Gear Solid. Oh shit, Kojima's doing a TED talk right now. And then Metal Gear Solid is finished. I would say that this is one of the points that I would agree is objectively a flaw with the game. I think some yeah. of the things we talked about depends on your interpretation. I may have not liked it as a 17-year-old. I love it now. Who's right. to say what was right and wrong? I think the pacing issue is objectively wrong, even as an adult with it, like, it's still hard to follow. I have to have the aid of YouTube videos. Like I probably watched some of the same videos over yeah. the years. There's, yeah, this scene had a video come out like eight years ago called The Most Profound Moment in Gaming History. And then people Did, have- I watched like, that video today. God damn. Yeah. So <laughs> that video came out a while ago and it like was huge, right? And then people have been revisiting that video and adding more commentary and reacting to that video for years. And then there's been people who've been breaking down that video as their own video. Like that video breaks down the game, and then people break down that video, and there's like this. So uh, I think there's, you said, there's a lot of good meat on them bones, 
but they're all thrown at you at the end. And especially at the time when the video games weren't as ubiquitous with like adults back in 2001, most of the people playing that game were between the ages 12 to 21. Okay. And you're just going to dump all this shit on them. Good <laughs> shit. Yeah. Good shit. At the 11th hour, like, it went so far over my head that I couldn't even begin to appreciate it. Like, now you could argue, well, your audience is too... No, it's like a comedian saying, well, I'm not funny because you guys don't get it. Right. No, <laughs> you have to present it in a way that makes us laugh, dumbass. So yeah. I would say that Kojima, again, like, you, when you try to do the things that he does, you're gonna some of the things are going to be rough around the edges. I praise him for going for it, for taking the swing. And largely, it was a home run. The game is still super famous for a reason. It's a cult classic. It was, overall, it was a success. Mm-hmm. But this particular issue is like objectively a bad design flaw in the game. Yeah. And um, I think that we can put a pin in the story for now until we get to the spoiler section yeah. where we are going to, like you said, there's a lot of meat on that bone. So we want to get to it. So we will just kind of continue on with this like... I guess, tone and presentation that this game sets up and talk about how this game looks and uh, the presentation of it all. Um, Graphically, I played this on Steam Deck, so it it didn't have the problem of like playing a PS2 game on like a a high resolution screen or something like that. Uh, Perfect Steam Deck game. I loved it for, uh, there's a lot of um, conversations that you listen to in these games in the codec. So laying in bed, listening to codec conversations, that rules. But uh, looks pretty good. And then just like the first Metal Gear Solid game, um, cinematic presentation is kind of like the name of the game here as far as, uh, you know, graphics and the way everything is portrayed, right? Yeah, the art direction is amazing. Still holds up today. Um, I'm glad you got to play it on a, like a modern screen at a modern resolution. Because I know this is a side note, but I got a bitch about it. I'm like, almost every video I put up, People are like, the original game didn't look that bad. I'm like, that's because you didn't play it on a modern screen. Like, I've had to make... People just have this warped memory. Like, I know you didn't play this game originally. Right. But if you try to play Metal Gear Solid 2 right now on an original PS2 on, like, a new LCD or OLED screen... Right, yeah. At a 4K screen, like, you're fucked. It's going to look unintelligible. I mean, some people love... Like, the pixels look good for pixel art games. But not these type of games, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you had that experience. Um, it does sound like a perfect Steam Deck game. I think the graphics and art direction are the way sometimes I test it is like if I take a game and I emulate it and I run it at 4K or 5K and it just natively out of the box still holds up well. Because sometimes when you up something, it can bring out flaws, right? And oh, yeah. Sometimes it looks even better. And I think Metal Gear Solid 2 looks amazing. Yeah. I mean, the graphics are awesome. The sound design is awesome. You could, you know, the writing is wordy, but like you talk about the voice acting, especially for the time, solid. Mm-hmm. Cutscenes, again, at the Metal Gear Solid wanted to come out and a few games had started copying them. But at the time, nobody did cinematic cutscenes like Kojima. He was pretty much the only one. And 30 years later, I think, again, I have nostalgia for it, but I watched, so I watched a video of someone playing the PS5. Uh, master collection mm-hmm. um it is i mean this is not kojima's fault but that's a bare bones remaster yeah I mean, they heard. suck they're like it's so bad it makes me so angry but there'll be enough mods but even the even just native with his bare bones and the fr- it's just so many issues i don't want to get into we could go on i could go on for hours about how bullshit 
that remaster is. That taken all into context, I'm watching these cutscenes and like, you know what? It still looks really good. Mm-hmm. It still looks really good. The presentation, he's Kojima's always had, like again, going back to what he thinks is cool. Kojima also thinks graphics are cool. Yeah. He's not going to put a game out if it doesn't look cool. Yeah, this was a big um, step up, I think, especially, well, Metal Gear Solid 1 was on the the previous console, but like, you know, characters have faces in this game, you know, uh, so I played it emulated, but I don't really fuck with emulator settings, especially when I'm playing on Steam Deck, because it's a low resolution screen by comparison anyway. So it looked pretty good. And uh, yeah, everyone has a, like, Snake has a face that you can see and like, reckon like see what his what his face uh looks like raiden looks similar to the raiden that i know from much later in the timeline from metal gear rising um that stuff looked pretty good uh, i thought you know when we talk about cutscenes this game has two kinds of cutscenes it has the codec conversations where it's just two character portraits and then you you read and listen to what they say to one another but this game also has some kick ass like animated rendered cutscenes with the character models and stuff like that uh there's a lot of cool shit uh, again i think that's what kojima wants you to take away uh you mentioned voice acting i want to shout out some um some voice actors here david Hayter plays snake uh quentin flynn plays raiden and then uh patrick zimmerman plays revolver ocelot who uh, if you're not familiar with the character his name is revolver ocelot he's a mm-hmm. cowboy in this uh kind of futuristic military setting he's just a fucking cowboy he can bounce bullets off of walls and stuff Um, but really iconic like voice acting for all of them and this plays into like this kind of tone we talked about earlier where everything is really over the top all these characters feel like they're 100 percent bought into their characters no matter how ridiculous they are whether it's vamp or fat man or revolver ocelot uh and a surprise jennifer hale uh, in this game too, as uh, a a girl named Emma. I don't follow like uh, I don't. I mean, I know who David Hayter is. He's like a legend now, but mm-hmm. I'm not super well versed. Who's Jennifer Hale? Oh, what Jennifer Hale, do? one of the top uh, top voice actresses right now, like in 2023. But this oh. was 2001, so best known for uh, probably as playing Shepard, the female Shepard in Mass Effect. Ooh. Other credits like uh, Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic past episode on the show here Baldur's Gate Bioshock Infinite a lot of okay. stuff so she's an all-star she's oh yeah rock star. absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah damn Yeah, the game, it looks good. It sounds good. I would argue it still plays good. Again, I have a little bit of nostalgia blinders, and I'm used to that. Coming, I mean, you're playing your whole podcast on the backlog, so you're constantly playing older games. So I think, I would guess you have a fairly, you have thick skin when it comes to maybe archaic gameplay mechanics. Did it feel clunky to you? I'm So I'm playing games... uh, from the backlog but that doesn't necessarily mean they're old like i think the sweet spot for this podcast is like games that came out in 2017 or something like that okay okay i'm not a retro gaming podcast but uh, i do play you know some older stuff and i criticize the gameplay in metal gear solid one for 
just being real simple i didn't think it was very good as a stealth game um it, it basically turns into what that game turned into was uh you cannot get seen because if you get seen it's over for it you is in over. the first yeah. game um so it just turned into like well i'm gonna look at the uh the radar that shows my position and the enemies and their vision cones and uh again quoting watch out for fireballs podcast they called it the world's worst game of pac-man and it kind of felt that way in the first game just kind of i'm not looking at snake i'm navigating just by the radar it's a lot better in metal gear solid 2 like across the board improvements in uh, how it feels to shoot the guns how it feels to do stealth takedowns like i'm not accidentally cartwheel kicking people anymore (laughs) uh, when i'm trying to do stealth takedowns the menu system in that game i remember was very hard, like using the triggers to open the menu, then sliding back and forth. Mm-hmm. Even at the time, like it was, the menu system was like, I get it. He wanted it to be quicker, but I, it was just to this day. I, there's certain things about the control scheme in Metal Gear. Again, I love the game, love Kojima, but that's just it's clunky. I think even Metal Gear Two and Three are clunky. Even Guns of the Patriot was a little better, but I don't mm-hmm. think until Phantom Pain. But there's even aspects of Phantom Pain where I'm like, Kojima still is like, why does he got to be so stubborn? <laughs> like third person cameras and act like we've kind of standardized. Right. Like yeah. why do you got to make certain things just slightly different? Because I don't know. Yeah, I, I played I played like an hour of Metal Gear Solid 5. And um, yeah, it's it looks like a game you're familiar with, but it doesn't feel like a game yes. you're familiar with. Yes, to play, for yes. sure. This uh, this game here, I think its like biggest benefit to the gameplay uh, in general is that when you enter a new place, because the, the big shell that you're doing the game in has a lot of different rooms, a lot of different sections. There's there's multiple like hub areas and then these spokes and like offshoot areas. When you enter one of those, you don't get that radar right away. Uh, you have to go like download it from a computer or some shit. So when you enter a new place and you can like go into that first person camera, you don't have to have a gun to do it. When you enter a new place, you really do feel like you're kind of sneaking in and not just like kind of speed running your way and just avoiding stuff on the radar. You do have to take it really slow and scope it out. Uh, Mm -hmm. Snake can like get down on the ground and crawl like, or ride in snake can do it too, but ride in. So I think this is like a really small change to like not give you that radar right away. And then once you unlock it, you can kind of go back to the old way of doing things. But I think this was a big help to just spice up the gameplay. Yeah. I, I play Metal Gear one and two. And every time I replay them, I play them no radar. I think they're better that way. They're much harder. Again, I like, like, I love dark souls. I love, I love like, I love tedium if it's done right, because it gives you the reward, right? (laughs) Uh There's a fine line. I'm not going to say yeah. Kojima nails it by any stretch of the means. I'm also really familiar with these games when I go back and play them. Right. Um, especially like if I'm, uh, I played through the beginning of Metal Gear, like the first three or four hours soon. I haven't memorized, right? Mm-hmm. But I think when you play them with no radar, the games are designed in a way that they are still possible. And, and I think if you're smart enough and careful enough, even on a first playthrough with no radar, you can navigate both games all the way through. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You just have to like be patient. I almost wish they would have, I think you're right, because it's the mini, I call it mini map fatigue, 
people mm-hmm. criticize it in open world games a lot where you're looking at the mini map while you're driving instead of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like one of the things I always mod when it comes to emulators of PC games, if I get the chance is I play the game with no UI if possible. Mm-hmm. And then I think that one of the hallmarks of good game design is if you can play the game with no UI and with enough trial and error and there are visual cues and there are things that like make it possible. It's not just cheap with no UI. You're not wholly dependent on it. I think that's a hallmark of good game design. I think a great example would be like God of War 2018 and God of War Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Pretty minimal UI in the first place. You turn that thing off, there's visual cues. You know kind of where you're at with everything without the UI. Metal Gear 2 is not that good, but like you said, because they knew they were designing the game where each section you wouldn't have a radar. Yeah. I think they, I don't know if they consciously des- had that in mind when they designed, designed Metal Gear Solid 1. I think you just memorize the game and it's more simple and the AI is more simple. So you can kind of brute force it with no, with no radar. But I think Metal Gear Solid 2, they're like, this is a stealth game and you have to be able to actually sneak through, use all your tools, all your gadgets, everything that Kojima thinks is cool and actually be a spy and get through without the radar because we're going to force you to have, not have the radar on each section. And I agree with you. That's like you're forcing people to actually understand the mechanics of the game. You're not saying you have to play the whole game like this because maybe not everybody wants to go through that tedium, right? Right. But you're going to force them for a section. Like you're going to understand how the game works. You're going to have to actually have a certain level of skill to get the reward of progressing. Right. And it, it's interesting because you you had a lot of tools, I felt like, in the first game for stealth and like ways that you can interact with the environment that I wouldn't have expected from a a stealth game that old. And this game just kind of like gives you a little bit more of that. Uh, Like you have the classic stuff, like you can hide in a cardboard box and stuff like that. Uh, But you can also like, for example, if you sneak up on an enemy, you can choke them out, uh, choke them unconscious. You can snap their neck and kill them. Uh, You can pick up bodies and drag them. Uh, or you can kind of you can just point your gun at an enemy and they'll put their hands up and then you can uh, you can tranquilize them or you can choke them out or like in some cases you might need them to use a keypad for you or something like that and stuff like that really like spices up the gameplay again totally possible to play Metal Gear Solid One without just staring at that radar screen or radar like mini map the whole time but like I feel like basically everyone defaults yep. to doing that at some point if it's this there game is, you can't help it if it's there yeah, you can't help it can't it's, help it's it. there it's easy it's yeah. more efficient so i'm gonna do it and this game is like okay no you're gonna play this like an actual stealth game and it's just you know it's fun as a stealth game i agree i think that's a really good point i wouldn't have thought of that but when you brought it up i remember because in big shell right it's this oil tanker we talked about it a little bit but it's like Basically, is it octagons like on piers that have bridges between them? Yeah, there's either there's like a central one, and then there's either six or eight like outer outer areas. Ones. Yes, and then there's bridges connecting them all, and then there's two of those sections. Yes, and each time you get to like across a bridge, and you get to not each time, but generally speaking, you cross a bridge, you get to like a new building. Yeah, and there's no and you're so it's like you don't know the area, you don't have it memorized, and you don't have the radar that you're using. And the layouts are different too. Like it's not like it's eight identical buildings. Exactly, and I think that was a really smart move by him. Where, okay, yeah, we're gonna force you to get kind of get good, but not constantly, and especially at the end of the game when you're doing backtracking and 
for say you're trying to do collectibles, like you're talking about holding people up, you can shake them down and get their dog tags. The dog tags are collectible and you get certain rewards for that. And you, there is a fair amount of backtracking in the game. And I think that if you never had the radar and it was never an option, I think a lot of people would be like, this is just too annoying. Oh yeah. The the radar is a reward. It's not, it's not a default. It's a reward yes. for you kind of taking the time, sometimes going into a more dangerous part of the level to get to that computer. It's, it's a really smart choice. Um, the other thing I think that makes this better as a stealth game is that once you get caught, it's not automatically over for you like it was in the first game. Like soldiers will still get on the radar and sound the alarm and a bunch of people will come, but you have options now. Like you can hide in lockers. This is the first game where you could hide in a locker. I think I don't remember doing that in the first game. Nope. The twin snakes remake you can, but not okay. in the, I just remember dying instantly when I got caught in the first game. Yeah. Uh, so you can run, you can hide, you can fight. Like if you, there's just like one guy, you can kind of do like a three piece combo and knock him out and run and hide. And then it has that alert system where, you know, you're, you're waiting for the alertness bar to go down and then soldiers will patrol for a little while after that. And then things go back down to normal. I just felt like you had a lot of, uh, a lot more possibility once someone did see you in here. And that's kind of like, I'm not the first person to say this, but like stealth games are fun when you're stealthing around, but they should also be fun after you get caught. Like having just a hard game over like Metal Gear Solid 1 is is just not, it's, it's no good for the player. Uh, it just feels like, okay, we'll try that again. You get to improvise a little bit in this game. I agree. It was really fun. Again, I'm coming from the perspective of when I first played it. It's an older game. Kojima is known for pushing everything. So, And I, I was messing with every single NPC in the tanker to see if they had AI. I was always constantly like playing the game, not to play the game, but like reloading a save just to mess with the AI, like mm -hmm. push its limits, like to see how dumb it is, how smart it is. Um, it was really fun back then. Like, For example, if you're in the locker and they walk close to you close enough and you're not ducking and you're looking through the the, the slits, yeah. they'll see you. Mm -hmm. But if they're far enough away, they can turn at you and look at you and they won't see you. If they're close enough, you have to duck and you can't look through the slits. And so then it's even more nerve wracking. It's like, is he going to open it? Does he realize I'm here? Can right. he hear it's me? It's got that heartbeat sound yeah. effect too when you're hiding in a locker. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, like how, how you know, the the red to the yellow to the green... Um, I do remember even in the beginning being impressed by the AI, but also being like, okay, so they know I'm here. They can't find me and they all just go back to normal. But it's like, I'm not gone. They know. Right. Kind of like breaking the immersion. Like this isn't quite human level. It's not even close to human level, but I was young and naive. <laughs> right. And so I lost a little bit of immersion, but I think for what it was, it was way better than the first game. At the end of the day, it's still basically the same system as Metal Gear Solid 1, just refined. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah it's just refined and improved in, in just about every way. I think the last thing I wanted to bring up is that uh, shooting guns in Metal Gear Solid 1 kind of sucked. And yep. it's it's pretty good. Like, There's a point in this game where it stops being a stealth game and it becomes an action game. And it's still pretty fun, even when it's an action game. And uh, I... I would have dreaded a section like that in Metal Gear Solid 1, whereas this one, like, it was good. And, like, the boss fights are really creative and fun, just like the first game. Uh, so, you know, it, it still feels dated, obviously. It should. It's it's that old. 
but it was good. Like from a gameplay perspective, I don't, I didn't play this and think like, you know, any of these aspects of it really suck. It was good. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember, there is like kind of a semi, what would you call it? Like auto targeting with, cause you had the red dot and it kind of locks onto yeah. guys, which Metal Gear Solid 1 didn't have that stickiness. You had the first person view. You couldn't move in first person view, but you at least have first person view. I think in three, you can move, right? I haven't played three. I'm making my way through the series. I'm trying to remember because I've also played these games modded on PC. There's an amazing PC mod for Metal Gear Solid 2, by the way, that changes the camera from the, the fixed angles in the top down mm-hmm. to like a standard third person. Like you said, Metal Gear 5 looks familiar, but doesn't feel familiar. There's a camera mod that makes Metal Gear Solid 2 feel familiar. Like it, Okay. It's like a standard third person action game camera. And the game is still really fun to play. That nice. I think it's I think it's actually better because because of that camera you can use the stealth learn around corners like you can really play that game with no radar with anyway that's side tangent game plays ah the game plays solid <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> well not done. amazing but solid yeah just some other random stuff I was thinking of there as as we're talking about improvements like uh, you can like flip over railings and like. Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What's the word for it? Just kind of like walk your way across a railing as you're hanging. Uh, that's useful. Like when people are looking for you or when you're trying to sneak past people, uh, you have all of your gadgets that you use in the first game. You've got uh, all the different types of grenades. Uh, Raiden can do like a running like flip that you can use to jump over gaps and stuff like that. More acrobatic than Snake. So. Just uh, improvements across the board. And the last thing I wrote in the notes for gameplay is in the main menu, there's a skateboarding mode for Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> I was 2. wondering if you were going to bring that up. Which is what we do. <laughs> oh, you bet your ass I saw that in the menu. And I was like, yeah. well, this is going to be a disaster. I have to try this. It It's not good. but no, but it, he did uh, it. It's funny. And uh, they take like the Metal Gear Solid music, which we didn't talk about. The music is, it's, it's good. I, I don't think it stands oh, out. I should try to cut you off. I should have brought right. that up. Thank you. You get about to. It sounds like you're about to say it's good. Doesn't stand out. It, it's it's good. It doesn't like really stand out to me. But it, it's like really entertaining. I like the sound of it and everything. Um, the the main melody, of course, the da 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 da. They bring that back. Yeah. Uh, they kind of remix it a little bit. But then I was gonna say in that skateboarding mode, they kind of like pop punkify all mm-hmm. of those Metal Gear Solid melodies, and it's really cool. I'm gonna argue. It's interesting because I haven't thought about the music modern times because there's i'm really into music like i'm a music head so metal gear solid 2 i'm trying to think about i'm so nerdy about this like how do i back up and make it short and sweet so hans zimmer did the soundtrack or not hans what's his what's his face henry gregson williams sorry he's another like movie he's a he's like a movie composer that's what i'm trying to get at right yeah so there's like a certain sound right movie soundtracks there's like a style just like you have like house and rap, right? There's like orchestras and there's like the movie soundtrack sound. And again, at the time, it wasn't super common for someone to go all out on an orchestra. Now with remasters and stuff, they'll remaster soundtracks and they'll give them that standard like movie orchestra sound. I had a, what was called a GX TV. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of those. Nope. It was an old CRT TV that had speakers that mm-hmm. covered the front and the speakers would open up like a door or a window. Okay. And then this TV had a subwoofer on the back of it built in. (laughs) 
So if you ever get curious, Google an image of the GX TV. Uh-huh. I had one of those, and I would play the opening cutscene, and I would max out that TV's volume. And I would just <laughs> sit in my room, and I would just like watch the opening cutscene because the soundtrack was so epic. But mm-hmm. again, I will under I can see now from a 2023 perspective, like it's standard run of the mill like movie orchestra, timpanis, violins. You know, it's nothing special now. But at the time, it was pretty special. I'm looking at that TV right now, and that is, I'm imagining you turning that up to full blast and just like, you're like the dude in that old commercial with like just being blown back by the sound mm-hmm. of that opening cut. It's a tiny little 13 inch TV, but it had this, it was more speaker than it was TV. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, like to be clear, I wasn't trying to say that like the, the music is unremarkable or anything like that. Like it's really good. It's just very similar to the first game. And serves more of a cinematic purpose than a, uh, you know, melody and, um, yeah, more more than just like a, a catchable melody purpose. But it's a good soundtrack for sure. Uh, sorry if I if I misspoke. No, I, I I was just saying like, I I can see where you're coming from. Now that yeah. opening melody, like the theme hook, mm-hmm. that's memorable. Yeah. Oh I, yeah, absolutely. I can remember that. But you are right in the sense of if you were to ask me to hum the melody or any of the other songs in the game, I would come up with nothing. Yeah. A lot of it is just kind of like this background, you know, you're stealthing around, the music really fades into the background and you just get like some, maybe some percussion and, you know, a little light melody or something like that. All right, well, let's uh, wrap up this non-spoiler section. And the way we always do this is to just uh, answer the question, Cade, who would you recommend Metal Gear Solid 2 in the year 2024 when this is going to come out? I would say, I know you said you're not a retro game podcast, but I do think you need to have a certain tolerance for archaic game design in general. Yeah, they, they don't make games like this anymore, yes. for sure. So I think if you're someone, like I've been learning on my on my social media channels and podcasts that like, for example, racing game, racing is bigger. I'm like a hardcore game, a JRPG, like I'm yeah. as nerdy as they get, right? I didn't realize that, well, and now in 2024, gaming has gotten so big. Everybody's gaming. It was more of a cliche kind of niche counterculture, not popular thing when I was coming up. So if you're like, I play Madden and I play Forza or Gran Turismo and NBA 2K and Smash Bros. And and there's there's nothing wrong with being a casual gamer. Like game away. I don't give a fuck. As long as you're gaming, the more power to you. But this is only for like, if you're like a head. I I would say you're a gaming head. We call it, we use the term head in music, right? There's Uh people who like music and then there's heads. People who are like actively digging for new tunes to the day they die. They love music, right? You're a gaming head. That's why you do the pod, like a hardcore head. Only hardcore yeah. heads are going to do a podcast called Tales from the Backlog. Right. Play, right? <laughs> so I think if you're a head, like if you're into gaming and for whatever reason, because you're younger or whatever, and you haven't played this game and you're a head, you need to play this game. Like it's part of, it's part of gaming history. It's like a landmark in gaming history. If you're like a 
game. Like I, I played recently uh, because of Chris from Retro Hangover. Shout out to Retro Hangover. Oh yeah, and Shane. I love those guys. Chris recommended to me Spec Ops: The Line, and I don't like military shooters. Yeah, but the way he pitched it to me is like this is one of those games. Like if you're a gamer, like a game gamer, and into gaming history, and like yeah. you need to play this game. It's a landmark game, and he was right. Yeah, um, and I would say Metal Gear Solid Two is like that for sure. Just be prepared to deal with. It's an old game. Yeah, right. You're gonna deal with some shit. Yeah, Chris. Uh, Chris was actually the guest for the Spec Ops: The Line episode on this podcast. So great. Uh, He's shout, a perfect guest for that. Shout out perfect to Chris. Guest. Yeah, that is the military shooter for people who don't like military shooters. One hundred percent. Yep. Um, another question for you before we go: uh, Do you think people need to play Metal Gear Solid One before they play this? I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that a lot of what this game is doing uh, would be lost. Like, I think a lot of the stuff that we said is is good and like profound at times would not be lost. I think you'd still get that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the stuff that makes this cool as a sequel uh, and with the characters of Snake and Raiden and stuff, a lot of that would go right over your head if you didn't have familiarity with Metal Gear Solid 1. I agree. Look, like I, to piggyback off what I was saying, I agree 100%. You wouldn't get the full Metal Gear Solid 2 experience. And if you're playing it, because based on what we're talking about is, hey, if you're a gamer head, you need to play this game because it's a big part of gaming history. It's really Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2 kind of come together as a package. It's, it's one experience. I think Metal Gear Solid 3, Snake Eater, uh, the whole Metal Gear series, if you really want to get the full experience, Metal Gear Solid series, you got to play them in order. One, two, three, four, five. Like mm-hmm. that's what I'm doing. That's the way to the truly like. If you want to appreciate this little blip in gaming history, that's I, I would argue an important blip. Um, you should play those games in order. Not to say you couldn't enjoy and have a good like you mentioned. You can still enjoy Metal Gear Solid Two, but if you're playing that game in 2024 for the first time, it's because you missed out, right? Yeah. For whatever reason. So if you're gonna play for that reason. I would recommend playing through them in order. And you're going to get the the roughest game as far as gameplay goes done first. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to play Metal Gear. Like if you play Metal Gear Solid 3 or 4 first and try to go back to 1, you're kind of ruining your experience. Uh, it would hurt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask that question because I think that the recommendation – I like I want to recommend this game to a lot of people, people who enjoy you know, people doing creative things with video game storytelling. Like I think anyone who appreciates that would appreciate what Kojima did in this game with the caveat that in order to get the full experience exactly like you said, I do think you should play the first game first and it's not a long game and if you emulate it, you can use cheats to get through some of the bullshit boss fights like I did. Just play it, get through it, and then play this one. I think this is better than the first game in most ways. Maybe the characters overall are not as like, like there's no psycho mantis in this game, you know, like there's no thing that's going to like transcend Metal Gear Solid fans in this, no character at least. But as a game, as a story, uh, as a creative effort, I think this is better than the first game. And I reiterate the, the bad rap that started when they did the bait and switch with Snake and Raiden has persisted to this day where people will just say, oh yeah, Metal Gear Solid 3 is an all-time classic. Metal Gear Solid 1 changed gaming. Metal Gear Solid 5 is a great game. 
Metal Gear Solid 2 is you can skip that one. And I just I completely no. disagree. Yeah. 100% disagree. I would argue I mean, you are right. Like Liquid Snake and Psycho Mantis are way cooler than Solid Snake. And I mean, Ocelot's kind of in all of them and he ends yeah. up becoming a very prominent character and Gray Fox. I would argue the ninja's the coolest in Metal Gear Solid 2. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I wanted I wanted to play as him so I wanted to be him so bad. Right, because I was still hurting from being switched over to write in, and right. then they had the oh, we can't get into this. God damn it! <laughs> anyway, we got we got to take a break because I'm ready yeah. to go. Yeah, we will. Uh, we'll get into that before we get into spoilers. Uh, quick housekeeping here, Cade. Talk about gaming memories. Uh, talk about the creative stuff you're doing, and uh, let people know where they can find you. My name is Cade Call. I am the host of the Gaming Memories Podcast, in which I am the. It is the one true podcast restored to earth. Miyamoto, the father, Kojima, the son, and Carmack, the Holy Ghost, appeared to me in prophetic vision and commanded me to make the one true gaming podcast. And all I had to do was simply interview creative and interesting people about their creative, about their gaming memories growing up. So I would have someone on like yourself, Dave, and mm-hmm. I would get to know you by, you know, asking about what makes you interesting for you would be you run a podcast. And then I would say, I always start my podcast like, what were you, what were you born? Blah, sorry, what year were you born, Dave? 88. 88. Your first console, that's hard. 88 is a leap year. Like it's right in between. (laughs) Us, those leap years, they'll fuck you up. I'm still going to, I'm going to go with the NES still. Nope. What was it? It was a Game Gear. Ooh, so you're an outlier. You are a hardcore outlier in my experience. Uh This is how I start my (laughs) podcast. I'll ask someone, what's the first thing that they got? I'll try to guess uh, what's the first game they remember seeing. What are the games that shaped them growing up? And then I tie that into whatever makes them interesting. So if they're a podcast host, we'll talk about their podcast. If they're a musician, we'll talk about their music. If they're an artist, we'll talk about their art. Um, That's the podcast. Uh, On social media, I spend a lot of time tinkering with emulators and showing what I come up with. And that's about it. And where can people find you on social media? It should be standard, but I did not master plan my brand in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> it's either gaming memories or gaming dash or underscore memories underscore pod or gaming memories pod with no space. Depending on where you're at, it might be a couple of things, but generally speaking, it's gaming memories pod. Okay. I'll get those handles from you for the individual places. I'll throw them down in the show notes so people can find them easily and uh, follow because you do uh, quite the transformation with those emulator videos too. I follow on Instagram and I see those from time to time. It's uh, it's crazy what those emulators can do. I love video games and I love, I love, spru- I love pushing, you know, a lot of people will say like, why don't you just play the game? It was designed. Well, I did like 20 yeah. times, right? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> uh, I'm just, I like trying new shit. So, but I still like the old shit. So, like for this game, what I really wanted to do, and, and thanks for being patient with the time on this, I, yeah. I knew the master collection was coming out, and I was like, okay, I had a, I had a suspicion that it was going to be a bullshit remaster because Konami is Konami, right? Yeah. And there was initial like reporting, like they said it was going to support 4K. Then they said it was only going to be 1080p. Then they said it was only going to be 1080 720p on the Switch, but 60 FPS on P. Like all sorts of like weird messaging. So I'm like, this is going to be a train wreck. I was hoping the mod community has done a lot of stuff to fix these games already. Mm-hmm. Like you can still play it, but I'm anyway. I'm I'm waiting for a little bit more because one of my favorite things to do is take an old game that I love and breathe new life into it with mods. I I just 
it's what I spend all my time doing when it comes mm-hmm. to games. I'll play through like a random game every once in a while that's new. Like I'm playing Star Ocean Second Story R, which is funny because that's a remaster. They just did such an amazing job. They did it as if right. what I would do if I could mod it the way I wanted. Um, so if you like that type of content and you like seeing old games kind of, you know, some people would say bastardized and ruined. And I get a comment <laughs> every video like you ruined it. Okay, play it. You can like you can go play it the way it was meant quote meant to be played. No one's stopping yeah. you. Mm-hmm. I've just beat this game like twenty times already, so I want to try it with some new, you know, new visuals. And I love seeing what the community does and how you can push games. That's you know the more popular the game, Mario Brothers, you know anything Nintendo, Zelda. Like there's so much cool shit out there. The last mm-hmm. thing I know, I'm rambling, but. The way I would pitch it is, if you're into like trying new shit, you want to live a little bit, you're down to trying a new position, you're not stuck in the old ways, <laughs> look up The Legend of Doom. It's the original Zelda on NES, recreated at a one-to-one ratio in the Doom engine. Oh, it's sick. fucking awesome. Nice. Hell yeah. Well, you know, I'll let people decide for themselves whether you're destroying games or uh, breathing. It's probably a little bit of that. both. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, again, check down in the show notes for, uh, gaming memories and check out the podcast too, to hear people's stories of how they got into video games and stuff like that. You should come on by the way. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. Love to. Uh, I think the, the game gear thing is not going to be the only outlier I bring to the, uh, conversation. Yes. In fact, you would be, you would probably be, my memory's not perfect. I think you'd be the only person who said the game gear was their first console. I've had game boys, game boy advances. Um, I haven't had a game. I don't think I've ever had a new one. I know. I know. We've got. Did you go from Game Gear to like a console, or did you stay handheld? Uh, Game Gear to Game Boy, and then oh. N sixty four. Yeah, and then N sixty four, and you were born in eighty eight. Yep. Yep. That is for my small sample size of I don't know hundred episodes or whatever. That's an outlier for sure. Okay, uh, I'll I'll bring more of that outlier energy anytime, man. So. For this podcast, if people want to support, it's the normal calls to action that we do every time. Uh, Hop in the Discord server, talk about Metal Gear Solid 2 with us this week. It's going to be a good conversation, I hope. Uh, It's a game that, like, no one's, not a lot of people are really talking about it these days. So I hope that this episode will bring it back up into the conversation, at least in our circle. We have a uh, an awesome community in our Discord server, so you'll find an invite link down in the show notes. Uh, You can support the show by leaving a rating and review. When people search Metal Gear Solid 2, they'll find this episode. That's what we want. And uh, you can also support monetarily at patreon.com slash realdavejackson. A couple bucks a month will let you vote on what games I do, a bunch of other treats. Uh, There's a bunch of tiers with a bunch of rewards at all of them. So again, if you'd like to support that way, it's always appreciated. I also have another podcast called A Top 3 Podcast. And uh, on that podcast, we just do top three lists. We did an episode that was top three PS2 games. And I think that I hadn't played Metal Gear Solid 2 at the time, but I think if I had, it would be a contender for the top three PS2 games. What what, what did you say were your top PS2 games? Uh, I do not remember. I, Final Fantasy X was number one. That's one of my favorite games ever, for sure. That's the only one I remember because, uh, well, I do podcasts and then I forget what I say. We got to talk <laughs> about Final Fantasy X. I could do an hour on Final Fantasy X. <laughs> so come on, let's talk about X. <laughs> we, we're in a weird in-between time where as we're recording, Final Fantasy X comes out next week on Tales from the Backlog. 
but you mm. can't listen to it yet. Uh, but the people who are listening oh. to this now can go find that episode about Final Fantasy X. And that episode went three hours because like you, oh, we people have a lot of stuff to say about that game. Yeah. I'm going to have to give that a listen. Hell yeah. All right. So uh, we are going to take a little music break here. And then when we come back, it's going to be full spoiler time. Yes. Finally, for yes. Metal Gear Solid 2. Okay, Kate and I are back, and we're talking about Metal Gear Solid 2 full spoilers. If you don't want to be spoiled, go ahead and get out, because uh, we are going to walk semi-chronologically through it, but I'm not going to like hold myself to it if I need to say something about what comes up later. So, uh, again, get out if you don't want to be spoiled for Metal Gear Solid 2. Go play it. It's good, like we talked about for the first hour plus of the podcast. Uh, so, that tanker mission with snake uh, we'll start there and then we'll get into favorite boss fights and stuff that tanker mission with snake uh basically ends with snake losing which was a surprise like snake is caught uh, out of over his head i'll say he's in over his head and uh revolver ocelot is there he steals metal gear ray that snake was there to find and then um Snake supposedly dies in here. So I just wanted to ask you, when you played this, you played the demo and then you had to wait for the game to come out. Mm -hmm. What was going through your head back then? I did not believe Snake was dead for one okay. second. I mean, how All could... Right. Now, in hindsight, maybe I should have been worried because maybe Kojima would have done that. Yeah. He, I wouldn't be surprised if he threw around the idea. I did not think that at all. Yeah, and we were, we're talking about just the tanker, so... I don't remember if the demo went all the way to the end of the tanker. I feel like okay. it did. Okay. But I could be wrong. And it's like, you know, my memory from playing it all the way back then kind of blurs the two. It's, um, but I did not buy that snake was dead. We talked about the bait and switch. I thought the tanker was the perfect setup for mm -hmm. a new Metal Gear Solid 2 game where you play snake. Yeah. <laughs> it was the perfect setup because it felt like, oh, he dot quote dies, then he comes back, right? He loses, but he comes back and 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 wins. What that's the hero's journey, right? right. I'm gonna definitely be playing as Snake because like they just this just set up the intro. Snake failed. I mean, every mission impossible, whatever. They all have the same thing, right? Part they they fail kind of in the beginning. Mm -hmm. They have no hope, and then they overcome. It's the classic hero's journey. Even though I wasn't aware of that trope and sort of that narrative foundation that most stories follow, I was subconsciously accustomed to it. Right. So I was just yeah. expecting, okay, sweet. This is a cool setup to play a snake. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but instead, um, and we left this out of the non spoiler section, you play as Raiden, but Snake comes back like pretty quickly into Raiden's section. You meet uh, another person on board who was not accounted for. Um, Raiden is a, a rookie, basically. This is like his first mission. He'd only done uh, VR training VR. and stuff like yes. that. And um, Snake is not part of the the mission plan. Uh, he's there, but he has this uh, alias Iroquois Pliskin. Now, <laughs> just I was young and dumb. It uh -huh. took me a while to realize Pliskin was Snake. Did okay. you realize like immediately? 
Oh yeah, because you can see his face like right away. You're like, it's either That's Snake true. or because it's Kojima, it's a a fucking yes. clone or something like like that. another Le- Le- Lefont and Trebles, whatever it's called. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so Snake is supposed to have died, and like Raiden. This is one of your first hints, I think, that things are not what they seem. But it's so early in the game that it, like, it's not a hint that you're going to really pick up on that Raiden. And it tells the colonel over the radio, he's like, I like I met Snake or something like that, or Snake's here or something. Eventually he tells him that. And the colonel's like, No, Snake died in the on the tanker. He died. It's not uh not possible. Anyway, back to the training, back to the simulation. Keep going on the mission. Yeah. You know, a sign of things to come, but it, it's so early in the game that you uh you know, you you're not gonna notice. Um, you would, you had, could argue that like that's maybe a little heavy-handed foreshadowing, but then it gets so batshit crazy that's like yeah. you can't foreshadow that. So no, <laughs> right? The thing that they're foreshadowing is not something that you're just going to guess. It, no, it's really out there by the time you get there. Um, Snake had a really interesting quote, though. It's like a Snake is like a an old. He is the ultimate soldier, basically, like the seasoned professional. Raiden's on his first mission. And Raiden's talking about all the things that he went through in his VR training. And uh, Snake just kind of has like some comments about that, about, you know, VR training as a a way to train the ultimate soldier, basically making war into a video game and stuff like that. And this is back in 2001, back when people probably still thought that video games cause violence and stuff. So I just wrote that down as an interesting quote uh, from Snake. And, you know, it does tie into what happens later, too. Yeah, I I don't know if I can comment on that without skipping ahead. So, uh, you, <laughs> if, you know, we don't have to like be too touchy about skipping ahead, but um, let's put a pin in that. Let's let's just uh, kind of open up with some some memorable boss fights. I guess we talked about Fat Man. Yes, uh, we talked about Vamp. I thought both of those boss fights were fun, um, creative, unlike other stuff in a lot of other games. Absolutely, I think boss fights are one of the most important art forms of designing a game. Like you said, you can tell Kojima, I would assume, I don't know, I guess I don't know for sure, that as we both speculated, that Kojima thinks of a, what he considers a cool scenario first and then works backwards from there mm-hmm. and then puts it all together. I think that's partially because when you're designing a video game as opposed to writing a movie, you have to think of like cool things to play. And a boss fight is like, let's be real. If you really kind of think about most games that have boss fights, you're really playing the game to get to the boss. The boss is the fun part that you remember. Yeah. They're the iconic parts. They're, they're the parts that you're unique. And everything in between is like filler, but it's consciously, they know it's filler. You know, can only have so much filler. We have to pace the boss fights so you're not playing filler too long. Yada, yada, yada. So I think it really excels. That being said, the most memorable boss fight for me would be Vamp, number one. Yeah. Like, by far. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which should, you know, it should be, in theory, the ending boss fight should be the most memorable, like, design-wise. You, yeah. You could say you'd want that. The ending is memorable for the, the exposition dump. Um, I do think the final fight with Solidus, with the, the katana, is kind of a cool ending. Yeah. Because you're you only have the katana, 
And I do think the fight with Metal Gear Ray is awesome because it's the throwback. You fight Rex if you played one. But Vamp just, there's something special. Again, as cheesy as like, let's just have a vampire because yeah. vampires. And if it's if that's not cheesy enough, the concept in the boss fight is you're in this room uh, with, with water. Like you're on these yeah. catwalks above this water and it's special water. They explain it as it's hyper oxygenated. Uh, so it, buoyancy does not exist is the quote they say. So they say, if you fall in the water, you'll just sink straight down to the bottom like a rock. And if vamp knocks you into the water, you die and you are trying to knock him in and he goes in the water, his oxygen drains and you have to do enough damage to him that he'll just sink down in there forever. But he's hopping around on these catwalks and Because stuff. Vamp is also immortal. That's, yeah. He's immortal. Because he's a vampire. Because like, he's a vampire. When we say vampire, we don't mean he's a guy with vampire fangs who bites people. He's actually also immortal. You kill him like three times in this game. There's, the, there's a certain scene, and I could be remembering it wrong, because there's also a bunch of scenes with him in Metal Gear Solid 4 with Raiden. Okay. Um, you, you haven't played for it. Anyway, so it's not... Not yet. So you, if... I'm trying. So I get these games mixed up, but don't you hit Vampire with a sniper and then he does the, the classic like falls back and then levitates back up? I think he does in his forehead because there's a scene where you 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 like you're fighting Fortune. I think is what it was. You're fighting Fortune and the bullet bends around her and hits Vamp in like the middle, like in his forehead. Yeah, I think he does do the pose. Yeah, yeah, he does the pose where he levitates back up and then the the bullet like pops out of his forehead or it heals yeah. or something like that. Like he can't die. Um, and it's interesting to take on. I just watched. It's funny you bring this up. I just watched interview with the vampire last night. Have you watched that? I do. I just watched it for the first time like two weeks ago. This is a okay. really weird coincidence. It's a really weird coincidence and an interesting. <laughs> it's the third time I've watched that movie, and what I find interesting is that vampires have a certain loose set of rules, but then everybody has their own kind of unique twist on mm -hmm. what the rules for a vampire are. And uh, like for example, an interview with a vampire, they can look at crucifixes; it doesn't hurt them. Garlic doesn't hurt them. Steak in the heart doesn't hurt them. He says it's all hogwash, but they can't. They do have to sleep in the coffin. They can't be in the light. They have mm -hmm. to drink blood. Vamp, he's kind of like Ko it's. It's interesting. Kojima has a very unique take on a vampire. He's not like most classical vampires as far as art direction, powers, all that stuff. Yeah, it's a just an interesting character, and he keeps coming back. And then, like we said, that boss fight is pretty fun. I. Was planning on talking about this later, but this is a good time to bring this up, I think, because when you were rattling off the boss fights, I was thinking to myself, huh, that's better than the version of that fight in Metal Gear Solid 1. So you have uh, Fat Man who's rolling around, he is uh, setting bombs, and you have to freeze the bombs so they don't explode, and then you can shoot him. Kind of reminiscent to me of when you're fighting, uh, I don't remember which fight it was, but the one where you're in the freezer with all the, the cargo containers in Metal yep. Gear Solid 1. Yep. Kind of reminiscent to that. You fight a bunch of these colorful characters. Uh, you fight a fighter jet, which reminded me of the helicopter fight the helicopter in Metal fight. Gear Solid yep. 1. Uh, you fight a Metal Gear, just like in the first game. You end up fighting a bunch of them at the end of this game. I hated that fight. That was terrible to me but I don't have 20 years of experience playing it. Uh, and then at the end of this game, like you said, you fight the eventual villain Solidus Snake with a sword, 
very similar to how you fist fight liquid snake at the end of the first game. So like they're really just playing the hits again and it's not a coincidence. What I find interesting is now we're talking about spoilers. Yeah. So I, again, I think Kojima works backwards. He's like, I want to replay the hits and pay homage to the original game because it's a sequel. But like we mentioned, he's, he does to a certain extent, try to tie it all together to the game lore and the narrative. I don't think he nails that all the time. But I, I just so just to recap before we got on, I rewatched some of that final codec conversation and the solid snake fight and then mm-hmm. the, the ending of the game just to make sure I was fresh on all of it. Like they 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 hint that Shadow Moses Metal Gear Solid One was also a training training exercise, which is crazy to me because we're getting to the I know I'm just, I might be jumping ahead, but right with <laughs> oh, the you, advent you, of AI and we have these large yeah. language models and they just they need so much data to be trained. Yeah. So much data that like they need like the whole internet, every piece of human creation, they try to quantify and then train these large language models. That's where you get chat GPT, Bard, Grok, all of these different AIs. Mm-hmm. They they in they they don't just infer, they basically directly say that Shadow Moses incident in Metal Gear Solid One was a training exercise to train the AI for various yeah. different things. And so the the fact that you have kind of the same motifs playing out you you can say in a lore or a narrative standpoint makes sense because both of them are training exercises for this mastermind ai the gw the arsenal however you, whatever you want to call it the, right. the patriots what above the patriots so it kind of makes sense like okay i want to rebuild the hits i want to kind of hit the same motif the same archetypes but also i have to justify it and so i thought that was kind of an interesting way like yeah well, the AI would want to run a similar scenario with slight variables to kind of test itself. Can it handle this contingency? Can it control it? Can it manipulate? So I thought that was that was really, really cool. It's like, because I know he's like saying, I know I flipped the switch on you with Raiden. You were expecting Snake. But I'm yeah. going to give you some of the same stuff that you might have wanted. Yeah. And Snake is there too. Like he's with you or in contact with you yes. for most, all the game, basically. So- this kind of, and this is what I meant when I said this is really interesting as a sequel, uh, because they eventually explain to you uh, for a time, they tell you that this whole thing, this whole Big Shell mission, and we're skipping like everything that happens in the Big Shell mission right now, because it's like... Because it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's it, yeah. And it's it's a, there's no twist to it for a while. Like you play like eight hours and then you meet the president and the president tells you about the patriots and then it starts there like when he explains what the patriots are you're like oh okay but before that it's just like you know oh we need to find this informant he's in this shell and then you go there in the informants there and you talk to him it's not really like remarkable but what it is is that whole thing is a simulation uh, a simulated event like the people that you're killing they're real but they're there they're playing this part uh and they tell you it's because they're trying to recreate the events of shadow moses from the first game to try to create another snake and that's why this is so similar like you mentioned in the non-spoiler part callbacks like swimming up to the location there's a part in this game where you have to shoot a stinger missile to blow up an electrical panel something you did in the first game too um and i want to credit uh, YouTuber Max Durat. That's the video. Yep. That's the video. Yeah. I watched that today and I was like, holy shit. 
I didn't yeah. notice it, but it's, it's there. It's cool. So this, like I, I was thinking about that earlier with what they talked about, but then when we're running through those bosses, I was like, they're all a, a take on a boss from the first yep. game in some way. Yep. For the most part, I mean, fortune is sort of your sniper wolf. Yeah. You have the hind D and the, the, yeah, the airplane. Yeah. I, there's more, but you kind of threw me off. So you said that, and maybe we interpreted it different, but, and again, Metal Gear Solid lore is like, you can find your own Reddit threads that dive in, right? It's like, yeah, I'm not saying I'm right or you're wrong or you're wrong and I'm right. But you said that the whole thing was an AI to train another snake, which that's is what, what they, he thought. Sorry, that's what they said. And then they plot twisted that like okay, 10 okay. literally okay. later in the same conversation, yeah, yeah. they were okay. like, oh, that's actually not what was happening. It's one of the... One of like the things where I wrote down in my notes, I was like, you can't throw me a plot twist. Let me and then twist it again. Like, yeah. and then twist it before I ha- even have a chance to internalize what that twist was. Like, yes. that was one of the things where I was like, this is too much. Like, this is, this is way too much all at once, you know? But that, so that plot, like this, this whole mission with the, the, the big shell mission is, is fake. It's all staged basically stage it's not it's not a simulation like a computer no it's a controlled environment right they and they say that they are kind of patching into raiden uh the colonel you're talking to is the ai and it the ai is controlled by the patriots something like that yeah and it's it's you know raiden has nano machines and shit so they're tapping into the nano machines and all of that. It's how you you explain anything in Metal Gear Solid is just to be like, yeah, it's the nano machines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but earlier in the game, before you learn all this, you figure out that things are really weird because there's just too many conversations with the colonel, especially that don't feel like the way that your mission leader would handle things. I think I think there's two ways to look at it. There's either like something's off or you're thinking back to the first game where the colonel is just jerking snake around the entire time and lying to him the entire time. So regardless of how you feel about it, uh, there's a point way before they tell you like what's actually going on where you should be thinking, why is my girlfriend on the radio? Why is she part of this mission? Why is the colonel deflecting whenever anything contradicts the the plan, you know, stuff like that. I started to catch on. Now, did you, it's interesting because as a kid, I was so, again, we didn't have the, like AI wasn't, it was a thing that was in movies. Like I saw AI with Steven Spielberg, but it was, it was was sci-fi. Yeah. It was pure sci-fi. And as a a young 16 or 17 year old, just, I knew what it was like the terminology. I kind of get what I meant. I knew what Skynet was in Terminator. But it wasn't like today, and it makes me wonder, now you played it recently, did you start to suspect that it was an AI? Like, no. Did you pick up on that? Or that was still a... I didn't suspect that it was an AI. Yeah, I didn't suspect any of that. It was just like... You just knew something was off, for Something sure. was off, and then also, you know, I have the context from Metal Gear Solid 1, where the colonel never tells the truth to Snake for the entire game. He basically... Yes. That game's plot is basically like, oh, they were actually in on this. Oh, they were actually in on this. And yeah, uh, the colonel's just lying every step of the way. And also the fact that the colonel is there doesn't make any sense because they say that like the organization that he 
was working for in Metal Gear Solid One was dis- like disbanded, disbanded after that. Yeah. But you you just roll with it because hey, maybe the guy got a new job. I don't know. He's the and at least playing the first game, it's weird. Like even though he lied to you the whole first game, and you kind of realize it. I still liked him. Like I still trusted him going into the second game, which is batshit stupid, admittedly, yeah. because he's charismatic, good he's voice charism- actor, and he just has like the, the at least in the first game. I'll say this: I do think the two D pixel animations of the first game for the codex scenes mm-hmm. are better than the three D models. Like I feel mm-hmm. like it sells. It's almost like because of the uncanny valley, the three D models obviously are not convincing of a person, but when you see like the 2D sprite animation, your brain kind of fills the gaps. So I had like the kernel felt very real to me from the first game, which made the twist of him turning out to be an AI even more confusing because I was convinced it was the same kernel as from the first game. Mm -hmm. But, and it's like, okay, why did the, like out of all the people the kernel could be, I mean, I guess we know why it was trying to recreate shadow Moses. So it's like, I'm going to pretend to be the colonel. Yeah. But if you could bring us, why don't you just bring the colonel back? Did he die? Did he die at the end of like what? He got disbanded. Like who's, where's the real colonel? Yeah. I have, I don't think they ever say, but I never suspected it either. Cause you're just inclined to just, he's the, the mission leader. You, maybe you think about it for a second and then the mission starts and you're just, you're on your way. So we talked about the Patriots. So that's like the next big revelation yeah. that you get so the way i understood it so let me step back for anyone i mean most if you're here you either a didn't play it but you don't care about spoilers which i do sometimes a lot oh yeah so I that's don't why i do you. the show this way yeah, yeah. <laughs> or two you played it and so you're already familiar but for those who maybe a didn't play it, you don't care, care about the spoilers and i want to i want to see if you interpret it the same way that i interpreted it because i interpreted it as the ai set up sh- uh the big show to recreate Shadow Moses for the S3 program, which they say is the societal sanity something protocol. I forget yeah. what, it, what it was called. Right. Um, but it's basically like, okay, we're going to recreate Shadow Moses, but we're going to see if we can, through nanosheens and influence, get this guy right in, basically manipulate him at our yeah. will. To follow orders. I think yes. they, they said... They want to see if he'll follow orders or they want to test how they can make people follow orders regardless of how questionable the person giving the orders is. And how everything doesn't make sense, but we'll still get you to do the thing that you want me to do because their end goal, which let's just get into, I mean, we can get into it is- Get into the Patriots, yeah. Yeah, they see, they foresee a problem- which is so crazy to me rewatching. So I rewatched the video you brought up, but that's actually analysis of the original video that was made like eight years ago, the okay. YouTube channel that you mentioned, Max well, Durant. Hold up. Let's, let's set up what the Patriots are okay. first yeah, 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 yeah. for anyone who's, who's following. Um, the Patriots are basically like a secret society that, that runs everything, which- The Illuminati, essentially. Yeah, basically. Um, they are made up of 12 men, uh, and the Patriots just kind of run everything- the president tells you that American politics is basically a production, you know, elections, politics, lawmaking, and all of those processes are just a production put on for the public and that they don't, um, those politicians don't actually have any power. 
Um, there's a villain that's introduced in the game, Solidus Snake, uh, who is impersonating Snake. He's actually a former president who was ousted by the Patriots because of how fucked up Shadow Moses went. Yes. Um, so he's here to kind of get revenge and he he lost his mind and stuff like that. Uh, I Just a real quick note. I thought it was funny. They said that Solidus is a well-balanced masterpiece between Solid and Liquid Snake. And they explained it. I forget which one because they plot twisted this in the first game. But one of them got all the dominant genes from Big Boss, and one of them got all and the liquid recessive got genes. all the recessive genes, and that's why he resented Solid. Yes, right. But then they they plot twisted that, so it was actually the other way around, which is not how genetics work. Once again, but then I was like, okay, so Solidus got half of the recessive genes. He's perfectly in the middle. Yes, I did. <laughs> I, even as a kid, when I played this. I felt that was a little cheesy. Oh, there's a oh, third yeah. twin you didn't tell me about? Like, yeah, yeah. Because they made a big deal, especially in the Metal Gear Solid 1. You know how they would intermix like real footage, like FMV yeah. footage? There's a footage of twins in Metal Gear Solid 1. Mm-hmm. And they specifically say it was only twins and show you twins. And there's no like even subtle foreshadowing that I'm aware of. Maybe he did ahead of time master plan this. I doubt it. Like no, I said, I think prob- he's working backwards. Yeah, it's again, it's that thing. He's like, it would be cool if there was a secret third twin and we're going to do a little bit of, you know, explanation, but yeah, the plot's moving. So that's what I think happened. And I remember feeling like, even as a 17 year old, like that was cheap, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but still love the game. Yeah. So this, this part, this is, I think Kojima has a lot of stuff like this. Like the, there's a secret organization that, that runs the country and that, you know, the government as a production. I don't think this is that deep. It's one of those things that like, if you play it for the first time when you're like 13, you'll be like, holy shit, that's probably how it is in real life. And then you grow up and you're like, that is kind of how it is in real life. Like a lot of that shit is just kind of yeah. staged. And I, I think a lot of that is, is decided. I think at this point, it's like, it doesn't matter where you sit on that political spectrum. I think people understand that corruption is a serious problem yeah absolutely (laughs) so this is some this is something that like he he presents and it's it's a big revelation and i'm like okay here we go this again and the thing that i thought was interesting was that dead cell which is the terrorist group on there is trying to destroy the patriots but the president who you talk to the president's being controlled by the patriots you would think that the president wants the puppet the puppeteers to go away, but he doesn't. And he kind of makes this interesting point that if you remove all of this all at once, then there will be this massive political vacuum and things will just get way worse than they are right now. And I think that that's interesting that he brought that up. Again, we're going to start getting into where I think this is one of, I agree with you, this is where Kojima's actually been profound and ahead of his time. Yeah. And it kind of blows my mind that he thought of some of these concepts in 2001. And I wonder what media, I have some suspicions of what media he was getting inspired by, because he's not the only one that foresaw some of this. Mm-hmm. But the president says there's going to be a, pa- essentially going to be a power vacuum. Well, yeah. the U.S., since 2001 has gone to Yemen and Syria, Afghanistan, and we've toppled governments and left this power vacuum, mm-hmm. and then places end up becoming worse than we left them. Yeah. And that this idea that a power vacuum, you know, you might be doing a good thing on paper by taking out something that you consider corrupt or bad. Yeah. But if, but if you just leave it things to just sort themselves out, 
it can backfire and it can actually end up being worse than the structure you took out. Right. And I obviously that that's something that I didn't recognize until I was much older. And I know I know I don't know how you, I know politics are a touchy subject, but I'm like I don't like war. Like I, think, I don't think that's a, t- a touchy subject. It has been recently, there, yeah. like depending, you know, who I talk to, it's like I got someone got mad at me for saying I'm someone I'm really close to and respect was like pushing back because I was like, at the end of the day, I'm anti-war. I think that should be an absolute last resort. Mm-hmm. And I think Kojima, you know, he's obviously older than we are, and maybe he had been following politics, but was recognizing that. Not only is the war bad, but what you leave behind can become worse. Yeah. And I think he was touching on that. And it'd be interesting to wonder, as a Japanese person, right, the center of the world, at least most of the media, we do the Hollywood, like, we as Americans don't pay attention to other countries' politics as much, but other countries pay attention to us a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think Kojima, it's interesting, like, I think what we're seeing is a Japanese man who at the time was our age in his 30s trying to make sense of world events and then kind of reflect some of his feelings in his art. Mm -hmm. That's what I think we're seeing. And that's one of the points is this idea of like, dude, if you took everything away, it's going to end be worse. You don't realize that? So, yeah, I totally agree. And that, that part where, you know, they introduce the Patriots and then you're like, okay, well, in your head as a, person playing a video game you're like well let's go fucking kill the patriots then yeah and the president's like slow your roll there buddy like kill the bad guys (laughs) yeah this is actually why it's going to be a bad idea to do that and i thought that that is like a little bit deeper than that surface level like oh there's a secret society controlling the government like we've never seen a story with that before Now, when I, you are right when I was younger, because the internet was like the idea of a secret society controlling everything was definitely more novel. Um, and I understood that. But once you started getting into his next part, specifically the final codec conversation before you fight Solidus, where basically you just get that 11th hour. Hey, as the villain, we're just going to explain everything behind what we're yeah. doing <laughs> because that's what we do as villains. Yeah. Like trope is there. I mean, I don't know how you want to tackle this, but we both watched the same video. I wanted to pull up the... So we talked about the Max Durant video, but Max Durant is doing a retrospective on a video that came out 13 years ago by Logo Steve. I okay. found it on... Um, there's two-part videos. The Most Profound Moment in Gaming, Metal Gear Solid, two AI Conversation, part one of two. And this came out 13 years ago, which means this gentleman, Logo Steve, was also kind of one of the first people to recognize what Kojima was really getting at Mm -hmm. which is that like they say this they had this exposition dump and then the ai says i'm actually doing this because jack or raiden or jack i guess we haven't talked about his name is jack yeah former child soldier yes um, picked for the mission because he's a blank slate who refuses to acknowledge his past is what they say which is a child soldier and they kojima touches on that child soldier thing a lot in phantom pain and i haven't played it yet but that's a big part of phantom pain anyway uh, they essentially say we foresee this problem where the internet and the digitized flow of information. I thought this was so profound and I rewatched it today is we used to curate 
they claimed that throughout all of human history, we would curate what we passed down. We would filter out all the bullshit and yeah. then we we would like crystallize the most important stories. Maybe we turn them into myths or legends and we pass them down orally to our next generation. Right. But we're not passing down every single joke and every single story because it's too much. We just we curate and say the stuff that really matters, we're gonna pass down to the next generation in the forms of myths and stories and religion and right. art and so on and so forth. Whether this, whether that sorry whether that's a conscious thing that people decide to do yes. or whether it's a natural thing, because the things that are not important just naturally don't get yes. passed on because no that one is gives the a pattern. Shit. No one gives a shit, and that's the pattern. But with the or internet age, it was, or because it was wrong, and that's yes. another thing that you're about to bring up is because that stuff was incorrect, or that it didn't suit the vision of whoever is passing on the history. Yes. That stuff gets filtered out. Or they decide, yeah, that's wrong, or it's bad advice, or it's a bad way of thinking, it's right. a bad perspective. I'm not going to pass that on to my children. Right. Think about, um, think about like vaccines. Uh, basically, like this is my podcast, so I'm going to go ahead and make the the bold claim that vaccines are good and save people's lives. So back using the logic in this thing, where things were curated and passed on with a purpose, basically. If someone had bad medical advice back then and a bunch of people died because of it, that wouldn't get passed on because they would be like, or that wouldn't be preserved to be passed on because people would be like, obviously that's wrong. People are going to fucking die if we pass this on to our children. We're going to leave that behind, basically. Whereas in the digital age, like we're getting to, uh, everything gets passed on. Every single piece of misinformation every piece of good information and then every piece of extraneous trash, like my Twitter posts, all of that <laughs> shit is preserved. And I think that's the most important. Like I, I wanted to focus on that. It's yeah. like, you know, that what's, whether like a vaccine is pro or con, well, and then the, you split vaccines into two. There's like MRNA vaccines, the new one or the old, and you get, there's like all sorts of delineations of where people are sitting on that. But I think the part where people could agree on, it doesn't matter if you're pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine, hardcore left or hardcore right. The internet is full of fucking shit. Yes. Like just, like we are so inundated with just, we are blasted with shit. At, and like, you don't even have to go conspiracy theory. You could just go advertisers, people who want our money. Like we are submersed in people trying to manipulate our thinking. Yeah. And our the, emotions and, their, and our thinking. And our emotions. And it blows my mind that Kojima in 2001 would kind of see like this is the direct. Obviously, the internet existed. Yeah. But I grew up in the internet age. And man, I thought the internet was going to save the world. I thought it was going to say, I had this really naive, I did not foresee social media. I did not foresee dating apps and all the concepts. Like, I did not foresee, obviously, I'm a dumbass. Kojima is obviously clearly a little bit smarter. And he sort of saw in an eerily relevant way what we were going to end up with. And that video that you're talking about from Max Durant, when he's talking about the AI, Colonel Campbell AI, Arsenal, GW, whatever you want to call it, is saying these lines that everything's going to get passed down, including all the extraneous shit. And that video is posting like pictures of memes and just like all the random shit we see every day that is totally, I mean, it may be funny. And that could argue there's some value into laughter. I think there is value in that. But at the end yeah. of the day, like there's just too much information. It's all getting crystallized. It's all getting saved. And somehow Kojima foresaw that that was going to happen. And watching those videos the last week, 
and then watching that video, that same video again today that you're talking about, like an hour before this podcast to make sure I was refreshed. I had this moment where I sat back and maybe I'm an old man because I have kids and I don't know, but I was like, were the Patriots right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like I've had this thought, you know, I, I don't know. Again, you brought up, you opened the door to politics with the vaccines, right? So I'm, yeah. I'm hoping this is kosher. I worry a lot about shit. I have kids and I've had the thought, AI scares me, but I've also had the thought like, if we really could create an unbiased AI to run the country, maybe that would be better. Maybe. But it's also terrifying. Yeah. That's, you know that's I mean? the thing I was getting. That is a just a giant concept to uh, to think about right now. And even on a smaller scale, like you're right. Like when you said, like, we are just inundated with shit all the time, every single day. You know, I, we, we spend all day on the computer or on our phones or, you know, playing video games or watching TV or whatever. And how much of that is actually valuable enough to be passed down? And that's kind of what this is talking about, where all of that stuff gets preserved, passed down. Uh, and the they say the quote, misinformation is saved just as often as important truths. So I don't think regardless of where you're at on the political spectrum, everyone knows that the internet is just full of bad information. And it's true, like, whether you seek it out, if you spend any time on Twitter or any other social media, you're gonna see it. You're gonna, maybe you, you search something on Google, you're looking for a news article, and you click something and they just have bad information, uh, depending on what you click. There's, like, a lot of pressure on people to vet everything that they look at. Like, I find myself, like, I want to share, you know, I saw a sports rumor or I saw like a thing about video games. Well, I better check and make sure it's real first before I share it in my discord server with people and all of that misinformation. That's what they're talking about here is just like, and that's, that's small scale, unimportant shit. The fact that yeah, I read like a, a video it, game, I read a rumor about yeah. hollow Knight silk song and it turns out to be <laughs> fake. Like that doesn't fucking matter in the grand scheme. What is that things. game going to come out? God damn it. It's <laughs> so, you know, the other point that they made, which I wanted to also bring up just as much as this, um, passing on of information, uh, is they also predict that because of this, because of all of this misinformation, and this just kind of nonstop flow of garbage that goes into our brains all the time uh, is that everybody will then turn to their own small communities yep. and just stay in there. And the no term, one wants- the term echo chambers has become yeah, like that term echo chambers yeah did not exist in two thousand one. Kojima foresaw this. It's one of the most eerie things when I, when I watched that again this week and then today prepping for this. I not I, I was just thinking like, how, how did he foresee this? Yeah, and I that part especially rang true because I'm very proud of my community that I've built in the Discord server that I run, but the Discord server is mostly a group of like-minded individuals. Is the, your can I ask is your Discord server? Paid only, or is there? Can you get it to it for free? No, it's public. Anyone can join. Yeah, okay. but but it's you know it's one of those things where like if you're going to join the Discord server for my podcast, my other podcast, or because you're my friend and you want to hang out in this space that I've created, 
you are selecting a small space to hang out in with like-minded people. And they talk about this in Metal Gear Solid 2 as something that's going to happen, where the greater forum where people are bouncing really conflicted beliefs off of each other will disappear. And that's kind of what's happened. That is what's happening. I don't seek out people to have political debates with. Like, I just don't. I don't want to do that. And I don't think that that, like, reflects poorly on me, but it's just something I don't do. And this game, fucking, you know, there were message boards in 2001, but that was about it as far as internet stuff goes. Like, internet communities of people like this. But they're right on the money with how people, because you are just constantly barraged with all of this, you self-select a small community where people think mostly the same way. You know, people have differing viewpoints, of course, but it's not like people from all polar different ends of the spectrum all together, because that's not the communities we select for ourselves. Yes. And what they accurately pin on is like, well, the one, it's understandable why a human would do that, because if you're inundated with people arguing, you get burnt out and it's like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I don't like, for example, me and Chris from Metro Hangover personally off air talk about a lot of politics and we don't agree on everything, but he's one of the few people that I know he argues in good faith and he's, he's trying his best. So I will mash out ideas with him because I actually find it beneficial and constructive but 99.99% of people, including like close friends and family, I would never do that with because it's not constructive. It just turns right. into my team versus your team or my issue versus your issue because I, I don't even fall on a side of a team. At least, and I think a lot of people feel politically homeless, like especially in America where you have a binary left or right. Like how many people actually fit in full left or full right? The right. silent majority. Very few people do. You might lean heavily one direction or another. I think people actually have more common ground than they're led to believe online, but because we get so um, fatigued from online information, we just want to go somewhere where everyone kind of basically agrees on the same shit and we can just have a good time and not argue. And then the the problem with that, that the patriots in this sort of scenario recognize that if you can't have a discussion, there's only there's, there's two options for human beings to resolve conflict. There's talking and there's killing. Mm. If we can't talk about it, and if we can't come to compromise, and if we can't debate, and if we can't come to some sort of middle ground, the only other option we have to solve a problem is to fucking kill each other. And it's super dangerous. Like if you, yeah. So if you get rid of this, like you you mentioned, instead of this kind of central square, which sort of Twitter or X maybe was at some point or tried to be at some point. If you don't have a place where people can bounce conflicting ideas and everyone just goes and silos themselves off and then you start having parallel separate economies, that's where it's really scary. Now we have separate economies. You have right-wing world, like say Chick-fil-A, for example, notoriously a right-wing organization. A lot of right-wing people support Chick-fil-A. There's lots of left-wing organizations. Then you have people going out and in real life, not even on the internet and meat realm, I'm I'm only going to shop here. I'm only going to shop there. Then I'm not going to interact with people. You start splitting the economy, splitting the money. Eventually, you can't talk to each other well. I mean, we've seen it. Like I feel like American society is like one inciting incident away from like more riots and more violence. It was not surprising to me that there was violence during the last election. 
Yes. Just because the people are people are fucking on edge. And yes. you, like you said, there's a lot of people that feel like whatever's happening doesn't work for them. Now I don't, you know, I don't support what happened on January 6th, which is what I'm referencing with violence during the election. I don't support that at all. And people who listen to this podcast probably already could figure that out. But like the fact that the end point, like you said, is violence. And the other end point that they talk about that the Patriots uh, AI puts forth is the other end uh, result here is regression as a society and as a species, basically. And I would argue that violence is a symptom of that regression. Like we can't, like we can't get past, again, I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, that's all right. I'm like really legitimately anti-war. Like, I don't think we should be fucking killing each other. Yeah. We've like we can talk to anybody in the world. We can send dick mess dick pics across the world instantly. <laughs> like we should be able to talk about this stuff. And I think that if you're resorting to violence, that's a regression. That's a regression to dark ages. That's a regression to hunter gatherer. That's a regression. And I that's why I, know I said like, are the patriots right? And, are they right? You know, and even if it's not physical violence. There's a form of violence that happens when you go and post your opinion somewhere on social media. Like anyone that has a large social media account will tell you that you you can't say what you want to say on social media because you will have people that just fucking can't act normal and will either oh, so true. take the Dude, opportunity. I have people, like, sorry to cut you off again. I have people threatening violence on each other, arguing over whether or not my emulation tips ruin a game or exactly not. like i was just gonna say who the like, fuck cares yeah ah. any, anyone with a large social media account will tell you that no matter what you say someone's gonna disagree someone's gonna take the opportunity to vehemently disagree with you because they think that that's their right and that's what they should do that's what social media is all about and that's not even getting into people making death threats or doxing or anything like that yes that's regression as a society. If you you can't 100%. just you can't scroll through Twitter and see someone say, "Oh, I think Metal Gear Solid Two sucks," and not react with like fucking anger about that. That's regression. It's regression. It it's blown my mind that so for a long time, um, and I'm not a big like you said big social media. I'm fucking nobody, or nobody, right. and and a super hardcore niche, a niche in niche. There's video games. Then there's like. And there's retro and, video games and, and there's, there's retro and then I'm yeah. and you like I'm <laughs> niched down all the way to the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Like this is permeated to the most like the 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 tendrils of the capillaries, right? The smallest veins. Like all the way to the capillaries in your nose and your ears, the smallest veins in your body. We have this issue where people are on edge and they're like I had a guy I was arguing with today that and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like the point is like I don't know how Kojima extrapolated from the internet was a new thing and he understood enough about human nature to somehow see this is where it was headed. Yeah, it it must have just been, you know, exposure to early internet and noticing that there's, you know, there's a lot of trash compared to how it was cuz you and I were old we grew up without internet, we grew yes. up with early internet and now we're living in current internet. Kojima is older than us. He grew up for a while. He was in, he was like 56, 57. Yeah. So like you said, he's at least in his twenties when the internet 
or 30s Hits. when the internet yeah. like fully explodes. So he had plenty of time to see how the world was before. So I think like the the takeaway here is that the reason Kojima was able to think about this and kind of forecast it like this is because he lived long enough with no internet whatsoever mm. to see how the passage of information worked before and then just picked up on some shit. And uh, I I really, this is something that even before I watched the YouTube videos, I was like, this is, first of all, correct prediction about how the future would go. And also, uh, I kind of rag on Kojima and I ragged on him earlier for having a lot of ideas that seem deep, but actually aren't that deep. They're just kind of surface level, like, you know, like the Illuminati type stuff for the the overarching theme that war is actually not good, uh, even though these are games about soldiers and stuff like that. But this part here, and the reason we've spent such a long time on it, is that this is really fucking good stuff. And it yes. completely took me by... You know, I had heard that Raiden was the protagonist, and that people were mad that Snake wasn't the main character of this game. I had not heard a peep about this in Metal Gear Solid 2. No well, one was crazy fucking talking me. about it. And it should be talked about. I'm I'm kind of jealous, honestly, that you got to play this game at your age in 2023 and sort of yeah. realize how eerily accurate this final section and kind of because this final exposition dump is basically what Kojima was trying to say. As clumsy as the pacing is, yeah. as clumsy as all the stuff is, this is what he was trying to say. He was trying to say, This is what I see happening. I have a suspicion. Because, again, I'm like, I know that Kojima is a movie and a book and a ma manga and an anime nerd. He's just a media creativity nerd. He's, he's, I think Kojima is basically the Japan's Quentin Tarantino. Because Quentin Tarantino is super mm. open about, like, he'll say, hey, I pulled this shot sequence from this classic movie. And he's very open about where he's drawing his inspiration from and how mm -hmm. much he loves. But Ko Quentin Tarantino is, like, narrow when it comes to movies. Kojima's like, I love it all. Yeah. And I have a suspicion. Did you ever read the book Ender's Game by chance? I did, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So do you remember that both in Ender's Game and in the sequels, I don't know how much of that series you've read, but Ender's brother and sister create aliases online and they manipulate the the world's politics through forums. Mm. And they didn't have the term podcasting. But through audio logs, like the, the term podcast didn't exist in 85 when mm -hmm. Orson Scott Card wrote this book. But basically, he foresaw, they didn't call it, they, I think they called it the net or something else. I forget the terminology, right? This is 85, long before the internet existed. But this family where the, all the kids are super geniuses, Andrew mm -hmm. goes off and does his main story. But on the side, his brother and sister who were left at home create fake news. Mm-hmm mixed with truth and they play both sides of the political spectrum and they 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 <laughs> they like conspire with each other to manipulate the masses through the internet and through information and through a mix of fake news and real news and they split the population into two sides that hate each other but they're actually colluding under the scenes and orchestrating all of that mm -hmm. it's like i wonder if and i don't think orson scott card is the only person to have kind of I think a lot of people foresaw this as this mm -hmm. idea. I don't think Kojima was the only one, but I wonder if Kojima was consuming some of this media, some of this sci-fi, and then sort of putting it through his own take that he's a Japanese person observing Western society from the outside. 
Mm-hmm. And that's how we ended up with this. That's it's an interesting uh, thought. I I didn't read far enough into the Ender's Game series. I just read the first book and like half of the second one. So I didn't know that his siblings turned into little like Rupert Murdoch's. That's interesting. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, the, the Murdoch's. And I mean, yeah, that and it's, it's I, I just wonder, like I watched that video again today and I thought, okay, this is so, the game from 2001 is commenting on some of the stuff that I'm most worried about. Yeah, in in 2023, in 2023. We're, we're talking right now. Yeah. And that's why I was saying like he's either a prophet or a time traveler. Yeah. And this is has definitely bumped up Kojima like in my my books, you know, like I thought Death Stranding's story was kind of a mess, uh, especially themes that he tried to introduce. I thought that those were not executed well in that game. Metal Gear Solid 1 was just a a series of twists and turns. But then this one, there's like, oh, okay, so I get why there are, like, I, I understood why there are, like, Kojima super fans, and then I played this, and I hear see this scene, and then I'm like, well, I can imagine someone playing this in 2001, and then thinking about it for 22 years, Yes, and then they're like, okay, this yes. is, like, even if he's doing some weird shit now, it was there, or it's still in there, you know, it's yeah. it's interesting. Really I would good. argue that this game and Snake Eater 3 are yeah. what made Kojima, I would, you know, maybe you would call him icon status. Like he's an icon in game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that like every icon or even athlete, there's like, there's their prime. They always say like, oh, Mike Tyson in his prime, John Jones in his prime. Right. Steve Miocic's in their prime. And I look as much as I love Kojima, maybe he's past his prime. And maybe Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3, we're going to look back even farther and be like, that was peak Kojima, where he had the balance of weirdness and out there. But it was also, because I, I, I agree, like Death Stranding, we kind of disagree. I loved the story and watching it, but I'm also a sucker for anything like dark and like mm-hmm. I love control. And he's talking about life after death. I'm sort of biased. I love those subjects and I love that. I'm also easily swayed by art direction and I love Death Stranding's art direction so yeah. much that I might just like, you know, but maybe Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid 2 might be historically in the long run. I could see a world where that's considered his best work. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And I'm looking forward to playing Metal Gear Solid 3 uh, sometime this year. I'm looking forward to that. I think 3 overall would probably most people would consider the best. Yeah, I was just going to say I'm looking forward to it. Number one, because now I've played Metal Gear Solid 2, which was better than one. And then also people seem like almost unanimously people like three as their favorite. So yeah, really looking forward to that. I also wanted to say playing as Raiden naked, running around doing cartwheels with a blur was pretty cool too. I mean, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so we we skipped over like the lead up to that thing because both of us were dying to get into that conversation yeah. there. But so what happens is uh, at a certain point, there's a virus that gets introduced because you're trying to take down this AI and you don't know what the AI really is when you inject the virus. But uh, sooner or later, like things start to 
glitch out and Colonel Campbell or not Campbell again. <laughs> Is it Campbell? It's yeah, Campbell. Campbell. Yes. Yeah, Colonel Campbell. Um, he starts to glitch out over the radio and I wrote down a bunch of the stuff that he says to you. He keeps saying to uh, stick to your role and to ignore everything else going on around you. Raiden had previously been na- uh, knocked out and captured, uh, basically. So that's why he's naked. The colonel has no knowledge or care that Raiden is currently naked. Uh, he has this funny animation. He's running around covering his crotch up uh, through the station. Um, he just keeps telling Raiden to stick to his role like the simulation. And then he keeps calling you and he starts getting into some meta shit. Like he says, you've been playing this game for too long. Turn the console off right now. Yes. Don't you have anything better to do? Uh, then he, <laughs> he starts to go for like a personal thing. He tells you that Rose is cheating on you ab- and then goes into like absolute nonsense after that. Uh, it actually has a part I thought was really cool where he says, uh, you have to infiltrate the fortress final heaven and destroy metal gear. And it shows you, screenshots or like video of the first metal gear game yeah which so like all of this is happening and like your head is kind of spinning you're just kind of like on this wild ride and then after that they lay all this philosophy on you so like you've been knocked totally off guard from what you thought the game was then they throw all of this philosophy at you there's other philosophy stuff i didn't bring up because it's too much I wanted to focus on the stuff that I think the stuff that like when I texted you a long time ago and was like, do you want to do Metal Gear Solid 2? Whatever lit up in your head that was like, I got to talk about this. Yes. We wanted to talk about that stuff. Yes. Just because, do you have kids, by the way? I don't, no. Okay. So we're, I just, and everyone's can be worried and everyone I think is stressed about, I don't know, maybe the cohesion of society. Yeah. And I worry about my kids and what kind of society they're going to live in and what the Patriots quote, the bad guys are basically saying is because of the internet and because of all this information and because of the echo chambers and because of all this, it's incumbent upon us. Campbell or the, the AI Arsenal GW says to write at the beginning of this exposition dump, right? And says, wait, so what you just want to control everyone? Something along those lines. You just want to control everybody. And he said, exactly. Because if we don't, you guys are going to regress and it's going to be violence and it's going to be bad. And sort of the AI makes its case to write him like, this is why we're justified in doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And this is why we're doing it. We're doing it not for our benefit. He specifically says, don't you know, right? we're not doing this for our benefit. We're doing it for your benefit. And I, I just remember thinking as a kid, I didn't get it. I was confused. And that goes to back that echoes back to what you were saying is, I think the delivery and the pace is flawed for sure. Yeah, it's just too much all it's at once. It's too much. But that's a good kind of villain right there. It's the kind of villain where like you you can see and understand what they're trying to say and there's truth to what there's they're saying. Yes. Uh but also a villain who's trying to fuck you over would tell you that it's for your benefit to get you on yes. their side. So like you get both of those. That's why at least in this game, I know the Patriots are a continuing thing, but in this game, the Patriots are a really, really interesting um, antagonist. And Solidus says his whole purpose is to free us from the Patriots, which right. you kind of understand where he's coming from. He's like, these guys want to control everything and control your thoughts, and they want to control, they want to have their thumb on everything. 
Yeah. And essentially, you know, again, so you brought up the pol- politics. You tell me where we can and can't go with it. But like, if you think about what Edward Snowden talked about, there's also this new thing that came out about metadata that's being shared to world governments through our cell phones. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've been following that, but we all sort of subconsciously know we, we might not know the extent, but everyone's spying on us and then trying to sell us shit. We know yeah. that. Yeah. Right. And Solidus's whole pitch to so the AI is telling Raiden, this is why I'm justified and why I'm correct. And then the flip side, Solidus is saying, this is why I'm justified. Fuck the Patriots. They want to control everything. I want freedom. That's what America was founded on. And then eventually the Patriots say, Raiden, your final order is to kill Solidus. Yeah. He's like, why would I do what you say? Well, we're going to kill the, the girl, em, not Emma, but well, I forget what her name is. It's um, Fortune's daughter Fortune, that they're yeah. holding. Yeah. And then also Rose. And he's like, is Rose even real? And they yeah. said, you better believe me. But L-I-E and believe is capitalized. Mm-hmm. So I have a suspicion that Rose, and I haven't gone down, like, I'm sure there's Reddit threads that talk about this and maybe I'm wrong. I haven't like done a full on internet deep dive on Metal Gear Solid 2, but I think it's basically saying Rose was never real. Well, there was the conversation where Rose basically admits that she's real, but she was hired to basically spy on Raiden. Oh, yes, true. Yeah. So she's that. a real person, but she was playing a role also. But there's also, there's Rose, the real person, and then there's Rose, the AI, right. talking as Rose, which again, right. it's it's a, fl- like, there's a lot of really good ideas in here. The execution is so confusing and so rushed that yeah, it takes 30 years of people making YouTube videos <laughs> to like unpack it all. Yeah. There's a there's two more things I wanted to ask you about. Um there is that part that you said where the patriots kind of tell tell you that um your final order is to kill Solidus and you have the boss fight where you fight him with the sword. It's a pretty good fight. There's a read to that that I saw that this is like meta commentary on video games and how like you're set up like you you said. You have the Patriots and you have Solidus. Both of them make good enough points, right? The Patriots make their point. They correctly predict the future. Solidus is saying, well, you can't have people controlling your thoughts and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, that's evil. Uh, but the Patriots kind of take over and say, well, you're going to do this. And then that's what you do because it's a video game. And I, I never quite know how to feel about when video games try to pull stuff like this off and basically say like you, the player, you don't have control over what you're doing because now you're going to go kill this guy, whether you wanted to or not, because that's what you have to do in the game. Um, And the reason I thought about this is because later on in like the very end, there's another thing that I think applies to video games as well. And snake talked about, you know, video gaming and VR earlier uh, as a result, as it relates to, training up soldiers and stuff. So did you see the, did you get this read from, you know, this, they're telling Raiden, but also you, the person playing the video game to go kill them. Cause you really don't have control. I didn't. And that's a, that's a novel concept to me. So I'm, I'm reacting in real time. I do think it's, inter- it's like, like I said, this is so dense and there's so many different interpretations. I had not come across that read. It's, if it's in the Max Durant video, it, uh, I must have missed it, but it is kind of true because, and I, I'm stalling because I'm trying to remember a game where there's a handful of games where even Spec Ops the line. So back to what we were talking about, Chris, much we're hanging out with Spec Ops the lines. 
the game is telling you not to do it's it's basically saying you shouldn't play war games while you're playing a war game but at the same time you can't beat the game without following the predestined sort of design and i maybe this is commenting on the same thing i think so i think that I think the games like Spec Ops The Line and Undertale and stuff like that do it a bit more deftly than this game does because it's not like it's kind of if that's what this game is doing, it's it's kind of one of those things where you do the thing and then they scold you for it or they scold you before they make you do it. Whereas the other games kind of comment on what you're doing and make you reflect on what you're doing as it relates to playing video games. And I think this is like an interesting thing it's just not like perfect execution i want to say yeah cuz like you said th- it's not that deep to say that you don't have a choice you can either turn the game off or keep playing it's not that deep for a game to tell that to you what do you what am i going to do turn the game off because i don't want to kill the final boss like come on let's let's be realistic yeah. here you yeah. know yeah i think that's a fair critique that so sort of sometimes kojima wraps up moderately deep ideas or maybe esoteric ideas right out of the box thinking but he wraps them up in like really pompous uh <laughs> extended writing and cutscenes. i will yes. admit that kojima has a has a knack for that but it's also kind of i don't know like what makes him kojima like I've, over the years i've learned to think i've learned to enjoy the flaws in what he does because it's like what makes him unique and special. Yeah. And I think you could loop that back to what this game is talking about is Solidus is saying, despite all of this, because Solidus is aware, right? He's one of the third twins. He knows what the Patriots are doing. He's yeah. He's like, he's not like you. He's aware what's going on, but he's come to the conclusion that despite everything they're saying that has merit, it's still ultimately better to give us freedom. Yeah. Warts and all. Mm-hmm. And maybe Kojima himself isn't exactly sure what is right. And that's why it's so kind of messily executed. Yeah. Well, I think that it's possible for a creator. And I agree that where I ultimately land is that Kojima as a creator has a lot of problems. Uh, we this is the rare Kojima game where I don't, didn't bring up sexism at all because it's not really present <laughs> in this game. Uh, but wait till you play five. I, I know I've seen I've seen Quiet in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. that game and her the justification for her, which is so, the whole media yeah. for yeah, yeah. We'll get yeah. yeah. So like with all of the warts involved with Kojima or with other like auteur creators like Yoko Taro and you know we talked about Near Automata before uh, yeah. before recording today. With all of them, I'm ultimately like positive on basically all of them, not all of them, but most of them, because they give you really interesting looks into their mind in a way that like, think about if EA made this game, you wouldn't have all of these weird edges to it. It would be a, I don't want to say soulless, but it wouldn't have all of this like super memorable shit. I'll say it. It would be soulless. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so <laughs> that that's kind of where I land on this. And so like, there's a lot of big swings. There's some misses along Definitely. the way. There's some problematic stuff along the way. But ultimately, like these people make interesting art, and that's that's why we're here. Um, and that kind of ties into 
the last thing, and I think it can relate to what we're doing right now, is um, after this is all over and Raiden is questioning what just happened, questioning who he is, what his purpose, his life has been completely ripped out from underneath him. He doesn't know what's real and what's fake anymore. And he kind of questions who he is, what his purpose is. And Snake gives him this this pretty good like monologue about how everything that he experienced is real and that only he can decide what it means to him and that he can start over and he can choose what his life is going to be from this day on. It's really cheesy, but David Hayter does a great job of voice acting this scene, I think, and that they have the freedom to choose their own path and thoughts. And even though at this point you didn't really learn what happened with the Patriots, it's it's an interesting thing as Ryden like sets out, he's basically saying like, what you thought was happening was fake, but everything that you experienced is real. Yeah, basically. it's all your internal. So I I thought you were going to bring this up, and um, are you religious by chance? No, I'm not. Okay, I just wanted to ask because I grew up hyper religious. I grew up Mormon. Yeah, I actually listened. Uh, shout out to Retro Hangover once again. I listened to the the growing up um, the Church of Latter Day Saints episode you did. But the reason I bring that up is Mormonism, and again, if there's any Mormons listening to this, I mean this with all due respect, but Mormonism is a crock of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have the authority to say that. And when you grow up in it, like you literally, just like Raiden, and again, this might be some of the reasons where I felt some, we talked about Final Fantasy X earlier, and Final Fantasy X is kind of critiquing religion. Oh, yeah. And Yuna finds out that her, right. And I, I remember talking to Chris from Metro Hangover that I think part of the reason why I didn't like 10 when it came out is it was giving me cognitive dissonance about being Mormon. And I was growing mm. up and kind of realizing that some things were adding up. And I, I didn't, it didn't happen as much with Metal Gear Solid 2, again, because of the, the flawed execution and the pacing. I was just so confused by the end of the game. I didn't yeah. even know what to think. But in hindsight, as I look back, I think Kojima... He's at least touching on some stuff that I can resonate with because when you realize that Mormonism isn't real and that the entire history and what they call the truth claims, because Mormonism claims that it's literally the one true church and everybody else is wrong. Mm, and like you course. grew up thinking you grew up thinking that like Mormons have it all figured out and that God is talking to the prophet and the prophet talks to Jesus every day and and that kind of all falls apart. You're left in this headspace, it's like shit. Like I don't I don't even know. I can't make sense of up and down and left and right because I grew up in this. This is in my entire worldview. I thought it was literally real. And that's what Raiden went through. And so that's why I say every time I revisit this game in my life, the first time was super confusing. I revisited it twice in my 20s and my early 30s with emulation. And I appreciated it more. And then, as I mentioned before, this recent, again, I didn't play it, but I watched almost all the cutscenes, like five hours of cutscenes. Yeah. And then I, I watched <laughs> these these ending. And I know that I have kids. This is the first time I've gone through it with kids. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the game, flaws and all, continues to age like fine wine because I, I find more layers where I resonate with it. And yeah. for me, the most recent walkthrough was like, I kind of I don't know what Kojima grew up with. I don't know what sort of gave him this idea that everything's a lie. What inspiration he got for Raiden, and I don't know if he had the same experience I did, but he had an adjacent enough experience where coming out of Mormonism, I I could relate to Raiden 
in that sense of like I did I didn't have a snake to give me advice, right? Mm-hmm. I had a whole society that was like, you're a piece of shit and you're you're repostate and you're going to hell. But I was like, no, this isn't making sense. Like this is all a lie. And I could have used the snake to say, hey, it's not that everything you experienced is a lie. Like you can still learn from all those experiences. There's still it's it's just it's one of those that I actually got I'm I mean, I don't know. I got a little emotional watching stuff this week for this mm-hmm. game. I yeah. love this game already, but I just started thinking about my life coming out of Mormonism. My kids aren't being raised in Mormonism. And it's I don't know how much people can relate, but when you're raised in essentially a cult and then you realize your kids aren't going to come up in that mm-hmm. and that you broke the cycle, I I like that final cutscene after you kill Solidus, and then it goes to like you know like the, the like the real pictures of like the city and there's yeah. the, the monologue, <laughs> and it's like I've been there, I yeah. I've been there, like I know what Raiden went through, mm-hmm. and I don't know, it's just one of those, it's one of those things like like you mentioned, as flawed as Kojima is, and he's very flawed, but that's why I like him, because we're all flawed, and yeah. he t- he took the swings and he yeah. missed. He's missed a lot of times, mm-hmm. but he keeps taking the swings. And I think Metal Gear Solid 2, there's some definitely misses in this game. Uh, but overall, like I'm really happy that he went for it. Yeah, absolutely. So like I don't have that religious background like you talked like I grew up Christian, but we stopped going to church early. Like everyone was kind of over it. So I don't have that kind of background like you talked about, but there's a lot of ways that you could apply this to if you grew up, you know, extremely patriotic in a way that yes, is like yes. too much or something like that, 100%. Uh, which, you know, as Americans, we're surrounded by people who like just really buy into all of that. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that, that can be applied there too. I had written down that uh, this could be applied to us breaking down a video game, which is not a real thing. It's not real, but the, the conversations that we've had today, the subject material presented, that is real. You know, Raiden's not a real person, but the two of us and the stuff we've talked yes. about follows that same um, that same logic here. I've actually talked about that a lot when I talk to people trying to... So I get reached out to by different people online because they can tell... If you're Mormon, you'll understand that everything about my podcast and my videos and my branding, praising Kojima... Mm-hmm. behold like it's all mormon references right it's me dealing with that yeah and people reach out to me and try to try to figure that out so i've said people mormonism is not real like this concept of like video games aren't real but the conversation we're having is real yeah so you could argue the video games are real because we're real as yeah. far as i know I mean, you can get into like simulation <laughs> theory and we can go deep that's probably in another Metal Gear Solid yes, game. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but the state of Utah exists because of Mormons. If enough people believe something is real, even if that thing is not real, it becomes real because it spills over into reality and the choices that they make, mm-hmm. right? So people listening to our podcast right now, and maybe they resonate with what you're talking about and the vaccines and confusion or what I'm talking about with, with religion or whatever, the game's not real. But people listening to this and having some sort of resonance, good or bad, even the people that maybe hate it, they think, oh, Kate is a dumbass or Dave is a dumbass. That's all real. Yeah. And like we said, like 
the characters are fictional, but the experience that you have taking all of this in, that's real. Yes. That can't be taken away from anybody. And it's really similar, I think, to what Snake uh, says. What Snake is talking about with Raiden here. So, yeah, uh, Raiden and Rose have a reunion. um, And then after the credits, they kind of brought up this thing about how AI is able to, and I mean, I, we, this is a big thing about AI because AI is starting to take people's jobs, especially in artistic spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, video game publications recently have been caught using AI to write their articles and stuff. And there's a something brought up earlier about how the AI that the Patriots are running is very um, comprehensive and very advanced, but there are intangible things about humans that that it just can't do. Um, and yes. so, in this last section, Snake kind of reflects on this, and he says that going forward, he's going to work on uh, passing on intangible things like culture and emotions and things like that. Um, And then Snake's final word here is that despite preserving all of the bad along with all of the good, that the digital age is good because history should be, you should see all of it, basically, I think is what he's trying to say. Like, we earlier we we really went in on how just shitty everything is out there on the internet but when you reflect on that and when you view it through the lens of history i think it is important to see the messy things too yes. so like this just this ending cutscene all of these ending things here are before we get to the classic metal gear solid plot twist at the very end these <laughs> things are really good i think and then snake's quote is Building the future and keeping the past alive are one and the same. Yeah, I I agree. Again, this my whole brand is sort of a subtle jab at Mormonism. So sorry if I, I harp on this. But what I learned with Mormonism was I was told certain things are wrong ideas. Mm-hmm. Don't look into what they call anti-Mormons. So someone who's saying who's someone who criticizes the religion. They're all crazy. They're all sinners. They're all possessed by the devil. Nothing to see there, folks. Right. And that's kind of what the AI, GW, Arsenal, Colonel Campbell, Rose, that whole conglomerate of personalities is saying is like, we're going to filter and decide what is worthwhile and what not, because you guys are too inundated with information. But I can also resonate with Solidus because I had an organization telling me, don't worry about all that stuff that criticizes us. It's all, but I turned out that, no, I should worry about that. Mm -hmm. And so I got into a spot personally through like the course of the last like 15 years where I looked into everything that was taboo. Like if some, like I'll be the first to admit, I went and listened to like probably a hundred hours of flat earth documentaries mm-hmm. because like as crazy as that sounds after coming out of Mormonism, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to decide if that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I trust myself. Now, I didn't get convinced, needless to say. I'm not a flat earther. I'm a glober. Sorry if you're a flat earther. I'm a glober. But I wanted to decide for myself because I was told all growing up, all these people that have negative things to say about, again, I'm coming from my authority growing up, higher than academia, higher than scientific consensus, was Mormonism because it's it's God himself. Right. Right. And so I had to challenge like the consensus and I realized, okay, the authorities over me that told me essentially that I'm not infallible, were fallible. Right. And so then it throws me into this place where like, well, now I'm questioning everything. 
Mm-hmm. Like, how do I know that the CDC is telling me the truth or the NASA is telling me the truth? Because I'm in this like vulnerable spot. And I think what Solidus is trying to get at is like, he believes that humans can figure it out for themselves eventually. And what yeah. you were what you were just saying is like, part of me thinks, ah, oh, you know, the Patriots were right. But the other part of me thinks, I w- but I would rather decide for myself if something's crazy or not. I don't want someone else telling me right. something's crazy or not. And it just walks that line. Like, I don't know if Kojima himself knows, at least at the time. Maybe now he does. He has stronger opinions. But maybe at the mm-hmm. time he didn't know himself. Yeah, really possible that, you know, especially with this, because they do really present both sides to you. And even as fantastical and, you know, the Patriots are obviously evil, you know, controlling people's minds and stuff like that. Evil shit. Yes. That's that's obvious. But the the way that it's presented where they're giving you, again, like seeing into the crystal ball at the way things are now, the fact that they're giving that to you. I think Kojima is just presenting this without really inserting his own yes. opinion into it so much, uh, which is which is good. I mean, because you could say pure, like the solidest take, pure freedom would be like, I don't know. That can go south. Like, did you ever watch the the series? I didn't watch it, but my wife watched it so much. I've heard all about it. It's called The Wife's, The Handmaiden's Tale, excuse me. I've heard of it, never watched it. So from my understanding, it is like this, if the extreme right like completely took over, mm-hmm. religious, like insane Christian, you know, I'm sure you're aware of this because some of the stuff you've mentioned with January, like you're probably aware of the intersection between Christianity and conspiracy theory can get pretty <laughs> wild. And like I said, I like to dive in. Again, I've had crazy, I've had all sorts of stuff on my podcast. I like to dive into the, all the most taboo shit for fun Mm -hmm. and decide whether I think it's crazy or not. And most of the time I'm going to come out of it like, yeah, that was crazy, but it was fun, but it's crazy. I think Kojima's like, the problem is, is I probably lean more on the side of, we actually probably do need some sort of, (laughs) if we could come up, like, have you ever heard of the, the term that the, uh, not beneficial, I'm having like a a brain fart, but essentially the benevolent, sorry, excuse me, not beneficial. Mm, Okay. The benevolent dictator theory. A lot of people will say the benevolent dictator is actually the ultimate form of government, but you can never guarantee that a dictator is going to be benevolent. There's no right. syst- there's no systematic way to guarantee that a successor to a dictator. Let's say you get lucky enough and you have a benevolent dictator. That's the best, but the, his son's probably going to be an asshole. That's just the way things go. Right. If you could have, if you could systematize a way to have a bene- benevolent dictator. That might be, I think there's an argument to be made that might be the best for society. And maybe AI could be a consistent benevolent dictator if it was truly unbiased. But if you've been following stuff about ChatGPT or Grok, there's there's bias in the AIs. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. I'm rambling at this point because I could talk about all these ideas forever. But um, And I don't even remember how we sparked this, this last <laughs> section. But you were, t- oh, you were talking about the very, very, very end of the game, leading yeah. into the final plot twist, which yeah, the- <laughs> I will turn over to you because I've been rambling. The final plot twist when uh, part of the mission was to get a list of the, the Patriots, their names. And um, they find the list, but the final plot twist is that the Patriots died 100 years ago. And uh, so what's is it? They don't really explain like that's literally the end of the game. So... I assume that means that it's just AI running it's just it like AI. The, 
Yeah. You know? That's how I interpreted it. I have like again, I haven't I haven't done like a deep dive into Reddit threads on Metal Gear lore or YouTube videos explaining the Metal Gear timeline, which I should probably do after this. But I interpreted it as like because you know the beginning of this conversation, he says something like the White House was the primordial soup in that we evolved layers upon layers, not much unlike how life was formed four billion years ago. Mm -hmm. So I think what he's hinting is saying is the Patriots sort of created the groundwork in which the AI became conscious and aware. Yeah. And since then they have all died, but the AI is like the embodiment of the Patriots Mm -hmm. in AI form. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting uh, proposition. Like, you know, if you were able to guarantee an unbiased AI to do the filtering or make decisions or something like that, like there's, that would make people consider it, but that is an infinitely scary and (laughs) impossible idea to like make reality. So as it is, we're just left thinking with the stuff that Kojima uh, and the rest of the team put into Metal Gear Solid 2. The uh, the last thing about the game I wrote down, I thought it was kind of cool, but kind of like ties in with the game is uh, you get a code at the end, uh, which you could enter on a website back in the day. Did you do this? I did not. Okay. Because I didn't have the internet. The website doesn't exist uh, anymore, so I didn't do it either. But it's a code where you put in your uh, combat data and stuff from the game, uh, just like what Raiden was doing doing a simulation to gather data and stuff like that. I did not know this. What comes up? Did you look Uh, up, like, did you find out what comes up? So they give you a code. They say go to like konami.com slash enter code or whatever, but the website doesn't exist anymore. So did you find any YouTube videos that documented what did happen? I did not, but it is, it is like, uh, it shows you, you know, player averages and stuff like that, I think. Okay. So because ultimately you were in this kind of meta, you were in a simulation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just one final, you know, Kojima loves these meta things. So one final thing. All I want to say is at the end, before I know we're wrapping up and I've been yeah. blabbing, but I'm having such a good time. Thank you for bringing me on. D- of is course, man. I believe this bait and switch, especially with the marketing. Um, again, I'm looking back from like gaming history growing up with this what made kojima the icon as flawed as he is now metal gear solid 2 was the first time for sure that he pulled like a major bait and switch both with marketing and gameplay and i think he perfected that with pt yeah yeah and i think most people will be aware what pt is so i don't need to get into that but i i almost feel metal gear solid 2 was almost a test run for what PT would have been had it not got yeah. canceled. <laughs> yeah, had it had it come out. You know, and one final thing, and th- this could spin into a big conversation, and I don't mean for it to, but I remember back on my Metal Gear Solid 1 episode, my guest Mick was talking about how Kojima never wanted to make a sequel to Metal Gear Solid. And then he didn't want to make a sequel to Metal Gear Solid 2. And then he didn't want to do Metal Gear Solid 4, but it was so successful, he just kept getting roped into it. And so thinking about it as basically like, they're going to force me to make a sequel. Well, I'll show them a sequel. I'm going to do a bait and switch with the character. We're going to, we're going to take the mascot. We're going to relegate him to a side role. Uh, we're going to basically run through the same thing from the first game, except it's a simulation 
And then we're going to get into all of my philosophy and all of my predictions about the future. And uh, it's just very fun to think about it that way. I did not know that. Um, where did you, is that, has, where has that been published or where did that information come oh, from? Oh, I, I am he just didn't want saying to... what, like my, my guest Mick on the first episode is a giant Metal Gear Solid fan. And I just kind of took his word for it. So okay, if it's so wrong, it's wrong. Somewhere out. No, no, I, I believe him. If you're, I believe gamers, especially. Um, <laughs> so obviously somewhere out there, someone has published that maybe Kojima, he was hesitant, didn't want to make. And that goes, the reason I buy, buy into that is, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I feel part of Kojima's motivation when you ask, do you think Kojima Master planned this or do you think, do you think it's cool and he's retconning stuff? Or is he in on the joke or is he not in on the joke? I think he's yeah. in on the joke and he's trolling us. And it actually makes more sense now that you bring it up. If there's information out there that Kojima didn't want to make the sequels and he had some resentment, which would also be more evidence points to that direction with his fallout with Konami and the resentment that he had with Konami. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there were some some issues with the executives of Konami and him and butting heads and, and friction is, yeah, I don't want to make these sequels. You're going to make me make them? then okay, fuck you. I'm going to troll everybody. Yeah. I'm going to do this. And then like, I think what Mick said was like one of like one of them is a, a prequel. So it's like just yes. kind of defiant in a way where it's like, you want me to keep making sequels? Well, I'm not going to make a sequel the way that you want a sequel. In the way that be... everybody else wants. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's probably ultimately why him and Konami had the big fallout and PT fell apart. And I could kind of, so Konami gets a really bad rap, and they should, by the way. I'm yeah, not defending it, yeah. Konami, but also they're putting out Sui Code and one and two remasters, so I'm going to forgive them for all sorts of shit. But <laughs> I could kind of see why maybe Konami's like, we've had enough with you. But I don't, you know what? I'm in real time, I'm taking that back because yes, there's a troll element and a defined element to Kojima, but all of those games sold well and made Kotami. Konami, Kotami, Konami, a metric fuck ton of money. So yeah. at the end of the day, I think Kojima is, he's more justified. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not mad. And I, as a, as you know, someone who's not in the position to do so, I respect the troll job, both on the, uh, on the fans because fans can get really annoying and yes. also on uh, Konami because Konami's shown their ass so many times. Uh, throughout history. So yeah, not to make that into a big thing. I think it's time we wrap this up. We're almost yep. at three hours. Kate, this has been awesome, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk about this with me. Thank you. I'm always happy. I mean, Metal Gear 2, baby. That's right. That's, you don't need to say anything I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say yes. Yeah. Um, and I will definitely listen to more of your your podcast. I I was meaning to listen to a couple episodes. I do follow you on social media, and I check out your posts all the time. And I've yeah, I obviously in yeah. retro hangover. Yeah, um, we we've been on some of the uh, King of Games episodes right together. So I'm very happy. I'm honored that you would have me on. I don't know how your normal guests are. I know I am my my own unique personality. I get drunk. I'm loud. <laughs> I always go long. Every single episode of my podcast, I'm like, I'm going to keep it under two hours. Five hours later, we're still going. This is so. Yeah, I get I, it. I, Thank you yeah. for your patience. Thank you for letting me ramble. Um, I don't get a I don't get a blurt out all of my nerd passion very often. 
in my yeah. real life. I only get to do it in podcasts. So right, I appreciate you for for ugh, for facilitating that. Yeah, of course, man. And uh, I would not have asked you on this episode if I didn't think you would do a good job. So I, I appreciate it. Um, this has been awesome. I appreciate everyone who's listened all the way to the end. We got another classic Tales from the Backlog three-hour podcast going on here. So thank you to everybody who has listened. Again, uh, one more plug. Go check out Gaming Memories. Go check out Cade's stuff on social media. Uh, join the Discord server. Come talk about this game with us. And that will be all. The last thing you can do is tune in next week for the next game to come out of the backlog.